0: All right, today on the Gypsy Tales podcast, very lucky to tie down the one and only Kerry Hart. Um, Kerry's in town right now because his lovely wife, Pink, is on uh, on tour and doing a bunch of shows in Brisbane. So kind of just got lucky that timing worked out and we got to sit down for a good few hour chat. Haven't seen Kerry in like a really long time, so it was cool to catch up and and have a conversation away from a a video shoot. He's a super smart dude. He's got a lot to say on a lot of different topics. Um, And that's come through, I guess, just living a really crazy life from being a motocross kid that was trying to be pro to being a pro motocross rider to then being a freestyle rider uh, to then owning a motocross team, nightclubs, yeah, he's, he really has done it all. Um, and throughout that whole time, he's kept sight of who he is as a person. Uh, and we speak about it in the podcast, but he's got all the same friends that he kind of came up with, you know, 20, 25 years ago. So really enjoyed this chat. I uh, hope you guys too do as well. Um, and without further ado, Gypsy Towers podcast with Kerry Hart. Nice cheers brother cheers we're doing it nice right on Mm. yeah i feel like i feel like if you had a podcast writer it would include jameson
1: yeah i'm I'm pretty simple it's either wine or whiskey (laughs) Yeah,
0: because you guys um i think the last time i spoke to you you were buying a winery
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess, yeah, it's, it's all pretty much coming public now.
0: Um, Oh, oh, no, it's fine. No, no, it's
1: all good. Uh, yeah, we, you know, going back a good handful of years, we, uh, we bought a small winery in a undisclosed location. Let's just say that. I'll uh, let it out where I said, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just like a mellow little property that, you know, me and my wife wanted a simple sort of lifestyle and area to raise our kids in, you know, away from the cities. We always had a deal that, You know, by the time Willow was five, you know, this was before Willow was born, but by the time she was five, we were going to be living outside the cities. And uh, she's always been really into wine. I like drinking wine. (laughs) I like like working. So anyways, long story short, we uh, we bought a small uh, working vineyard and uh, no winery, but just a working vineyard and lived there for a while and have slowly been learning the trade. And yeah, then this fall,
0: uh, my wife's uh, wine goes to market. Really? Yeah. Damn, That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty rad. I didn't know if you guys were actually going to sell it or what the deal was, but I got the impression you just wanted it for the uh, motocross uh, potential that that place could have. And plus, it's like fairly close to a track that you ride quite a lot. So, No, it was just kind of dumb luck. We ended up where we were. But really, I mean, my wife, she's always really had an interest
1: in wine. Um, You know, I I like to drink wine. Um, Now that I've gotten farther down the road with her doing it, I enjoy the process of growing the grapes and working in the vineyard i personally don't care so much for once it goes yeah gets you know comes out of the vineyard into the crush room but uh but it's it's fun it's a great lifestyle it's it's more of a passion project for my wife and it's something that we can do together and you know she kind of jokes about that hopefully uh you know her sacrifices now will make our kids amazing winemakers yeah (laughs) Are
0: are the kids into the the whole like farm lifestyle my daughter loves it yeah, yeah. absolutely because i loves guess jameson's
1: it. probably not old enough to yeah, really yeah. He, get, he's yeah. a little young he's only 20 months old but my daughter she's seven and she absolutely loves it you know I, I got my shop where i do all my motorcycle projects at and you know we got a little lake on our property and she goes fishing and you know chases squirrels and helps mom make wine and comes down in the shop with me she got a little clubhouse down there and just you know just lives a country lifestyle is she a bit of a tomboy She's definitely a tomboy. Let's yeah. See. Yeah. She, uh, I got her riding bicycles at three motorcycles at three and a half. She's been racing BMX and she was three and a half. She's actually, that's the one thing that we've been doing pretty consistently is, um, you know, it's been a little tough on, on this tour, but actually we were hoping to maybe get out and ride some BMX these next couple of weeks since we're in warmer weather, but she loves racing BMX. It's all about it. That's crazy. Likes riding dirt bikes. I'm not pushing that one too heavy. Yeah. I just wanted to build her ride around the farm with me, but, uh, but she loves
0: racing. That's one of the things that I've always like really respected about you is that you were this crazy fucking motocross superstar with the whole the bad boy image back in the day, and like you were a legit rock star. And then you marry a pop star that's maybe one of the most famous women in the world, yeah. And you've kept all your same friends, yeah. And you still build all your bikes. Like so many people get to the place that you've got to and just turn into these fucking weirdos <laughs> and and like ditch all the friends that they grew up with. And it's still like, I mean, even, you know, like I kind of cruise through your Instagram before you come on and it's like you and Twitch are still giving each other shit. Oh, yeah. You and Big B are still giving mm-hmm. each other shit. And it's yeah. like none of this has seemed to change Kerry Hart, the dude. And I mean, even, you know, like I said, the last time we hung out, we split a bottle of Jameson yeah. uh, while a couch was burning in Glamis. <laughs> yeah. And it's like yeah. just, this shit just never got to you, dude. How did how did that how does that work? Well, I mean, the thing I think a lot of people, don't, you know,
1: maybe I guess maybe the confusing part to what you're saying is, uh, you know, me me and Alicia, my wife now, pink singer, we've been together for 17 years. It's been a minute. So we grew up together. Yeah. So it's not like all of a sudden this just happened. I mean, honestly. I was probably more popular and definitely was making more money than her when we first started dating, Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, and then as careers grow and each of us grow in our own aspect, nothing really changes, but that's also the same for her. Like I think the type of person, you know, that you perceive me to be and that I am, I wouldn't want to be in some weird kooky Hollywood-based relationship where you know some people brought that shit. See, though, I man. could give a rat's ass about yeah. it. I grew up in Vegas. I've been around all that shit. Yeah, look, I had a great time when I was younger and earlier in our relationships, you know, doing red carpets, whatever. But you know, like I said, we grew up together, and dude, I'm I'm 43. Mm. I have no desire to do that shit. I mean, I support my wife doing it, but but my point is like, like we grew even up she together. She doesn't like doing that shit. She either, doesn't. You know? No, she doesn't. She would much rather be. At home on the couch with a bottle of wine and the kids, you know, fighting with each other. I mean, that's, that's way more entertaining to both of us than stuffed in suits and dresses and going down to red carpet. I mean, it's a, it's a necessity. It's part of the machine, mm-hmm. but it's not, what we prefer. And, and like I said, we've, we've grown up together to where, yeah, we did that stuff when we were younger and it was a lot more exciting in your 20s than it is in your late 30s or 40s but mm. but to your point like I'm also a really simple person you know like I, I still stress on money you know yeah. I still I'm still cheap as fuck you know <laughs> like I don't like to spend money you know like I haven't in that respect and it probably drives my wife crazy I haven't evolved I still wear dicky jeans and free clothes mm. so I'm, I'm still mentally the same person I was in my 20s in my 40s
0: it's crazy uh, like the life that you live right and it's so easy to see people right now and you kind of like get uh like people would have a perception of you like maybe there's people that come or i guess come across you through the pink thing yeah but it's like the life that you had before is this exceptionally crazy life oh, yeah. that it's like you invented a culture. Like there was a core group of you guys that created a culture that is still going now. Yeah, And it's like, what a time to be alive back in that era. And we had Travis on the podcast not long ago. Uh-huh. And even Travis is like this megastar yeah. frothing on you doing the first backflip. Yeah. How long ago does that even feel like when you were doing that? Was that Gravity Games? That so was Gravity did, Games. Yeah, uh, uh,
1: two thousand. 2000 or 2001. Anyway, I was I, say it, it feels enough, like a life, you know, it's a lifetime ago. I yeah, mean, how long ago does that feel? Like? Oh, it feels like a lifetime ago, you know, and, and you you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, I'm glad I was around that period. Not so much for, you know, uh, starting or building a, a sport, but just how fun it was back then and how low pressure and just rage. Well, you were like the rules, up. man. Yeah, exactly. And we got, we got away with shit that. Thank oh God there's no God. social media around back in those Dude. days. You know, I mean, just like destroying hotel rooms and being wild and crazy. Just young kids, you know, traveling the world, riding motorcycles.
0: Like it was, it was the most insane time of my life from that standpoint. And just think about too, like, I mean, I'm one of the kids you influence, right? right? Like my life, I grew up in Cairns, which is middle of fucking nowhere uh-huh. and we got crusty demons on vhs <laughs> yep and we just we literally played crusty demons on vhs until they stopped working yeah and then we had to go to wayne leonard's motorcycles which was <laughs> the only store in town that sold those vhs's <laughs> and we bought them and then we did it again yeah and it's like that millions of kids yeah that was inspired not even just that like the musical taste like yeah. listening to motorhead and like all of these yep you know, it's like you guys created something that, that still is going now. And it's like, even, I wonder like, for myself, like I got into the filmmaking side of things. Yeah. It's like, how, like, what's the economy of what you guys did that still goes now? Like, I made money making dirt bike films because I watched your dirt bike yeah. films. Yeah, like Like, it, there's a crazy economy that, that you guys kind of started and it's still going. I mean, it's cool, I you know, I'm gonna sound like the salty old guy right now, but
1: uh, you know, unfortunately what motocross, freestyle motocross, all action sports really skate, snow, whatever it is. What it was in the nineties as it's like been this. Targetified. Yeah, well, it's just like it was exciting and everything was new and you know, there was no internet that ruined everything and social media that ruined everything and instant gratification. But there was a culture and a lifestyle behind it back in those days. And, you know, I don't know, I i I've, I I mean my hat goes off and I actually feel bad for all the Let's just take motocross what I know of all these young bangers that are just throwing down the most insane tricks, but For nothing. It's like for what? For yeah. a highlight reel on Instagram on the popular page, or, you know, for that little bit that you might catch on X games. And it's like and there's no story of telling their personality or their like there's no image to Which is a meat grinder. Have,
0: <laughs> you almost can't have a personality these days. Because there's so many ways that you can get fucked by social media oh, yeah. or by... Like, even like you went through it with Kenny. Like, when Kenny was drinking cause yeah. after he won the title with you guys, yeah. there was, like, backlash yeah. for this dude that just worked his whole life yeah. to win this championship. Yeah, he's having a couple beers. And then he had a, a couple beers and a pizza, and then he's getting crucified. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're almost... Like, what made you guys famous was the fact that you were carrying on, like, living this extreme life and everyone was all about it yeah and now you get these dudes that try to do that shit today and it's like dude put put a lid on that you can't do that
1: yeah i mean and that's that's the slippery slope i think uh that was the good and the bad of my personal career how i run all my businesses how i ran my race team i mean dude i was the one there get given ken rocks and a beer Like, Mm. fuck you guys. This dude just worked his ass off on a championship. He's a grown ass man. He can enjoy a couple of beers or whatever that might be. Mm. You know, and I think that's just where the heart and soul, not from an alcohol standpoint, but like the heart and soul has kind of been sucked out of action sports due to political correctness and social media and always being on your best behavior. And, and I've, I really wish, and I actually, I'm going to kind of start beating up on Fox about this a little bit, but I think people are kind of looking for that resurgence of, Mm. I could be totally off, but me and my old standpoint, like, I think it'd be awesome to go out and do a new terra firma and go spend 12 months filming. And yeah, cool. Like you don't have to get the double flips and the triple flips, but do the road trips with like all the iconic guys, yeah. you know, get Roxanne and Carmichael out for a trip. And like maybe me and Twitch and, you know, getting back to that roots of, because it wasn't the writing that had you guys stoked on Krusty. I mean, it was cool. It was rad crashing and big dune jumps or whatever, but it was a party and the lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, Being in a van and like, you know, being like feeling like you're in the passenger seat of, you know, going through Peru or going through Brazil or, you know, whatever that situation might be. It's getting back to the lifestyle of it. I mean, why do people sit here and listen to podcasts? Mm. They can't even see it. And if they do see it, it's just two guys sitting at a table, but they want to feel like they're involved with something. And I feel like that's a huge piece missing in, I mean action sports in general but specifically motocross I mean that's why Ken is such a fucking rock star because you hear him in interviews fuck everybody he don't care Mm. as long as he's doing his work during the week and doing what we're supposed to do on the weekends and winning races and going after championships fuck everybody
0: dude what a what a fucking kid he is like did you enjoy the the year couple years working with him like it'd be hard not to Enjoy being around that guy. Yeah, well, that was a cool thing. Me and Ken were
1: friends before yeah, we were a uh-huh. work, work relationship. And, uh, you know, we were friends for quite a few years. We have the same management company. And, you know, and when we got together, you know, I kind of gave him a speech. I said, OK, look, you know, here's our friendship. We're going to set this over here and then we're going to work. Yeah. And then when the clock ticks, we can go back to being friends and we can pick up this glass. And, uh you know, I mean, look, it's, it's always tough. I think it's probably tougher for Ken because he saw a side of me that wasn't always fun carry. It was business yeah, carry. Yeah. But I think he respected me. And I think I know he respected Carmichael and he respected the whole program. And look, we had ups and downs like any program does with, you know, whether Ken with Honda now or Eli Tomac with Cowie or anybody else, it's, it's part of the machine. But in the end, I think to go through the path that we went down. I mean, he's a young kid. He was 20 when he came and rode for us. Yeah, it's Already crazy, won a championship, yeah. you know, and not many 20-year-olds know what they want, what they do, they don't want. But to go through the course that we went through, the highs and the lows, and to end it on winning a championship, you can't really be mad at that. And to this day, it's never affected mine and his relationship. We mm. still text back and forth all the time. He just came to my wife's show a couple of months ago. And I'll tell you what, if, if he was going to go out and have a beer,
0: I'd probably be the first person he'd call. Yeah. So. And I think, too, like... I was involved in the JDR team, which was really running in parallel uh, with you guys, a very similar era, uh, I guess, privately funded, which was quite similar. Mm-hmm. And then that manufacturer support, like there's so much detail that goes on behind the scenes. Like even Suzuki brings out a bike with air forks. Ken's yeah. got to run air forks. Ken yeah. doesn't like mm-hmm. air forks. Mm-hmm. His performance isn't as good that's a a reflection on the team yeah it's like there's so many things that are out of your control they're out of ken's control and they're things that you can't say in the moment to the average fan like hey man these forks are actually a piece of shit yeah we have to run them yeah ken doesn't like them uh mm, we're kind of fucked yeah so it's like but you can't say that because you're you're in you're in that Cool, well, w- You're in that world. Well, but look, here's the reality. I mean, you can look at racing
1: as whatever it is, but we're not curing cancer. And at the end of the day, what we're doing, we're entertainment and we're selling products for people. Yeah. So <laughs> same thing with NASCAR. I mean, you think, you know, some race on the tracks and I say, you know, fucking McDonald's sucks and it gave me diarrhea. That's my fucking team sponsor. Like it doesn't yeah. work that way, you know? Yeah. So, you know, there's a perception and then there's a reality behind closed doors and it's just part of racing, part of competing.
0: Dude, what you guys did, like the Hart and Huntington team that had <laughs> fucking stripper files in the yeah. pits. And yeah. then how many years removed was it until you won the 450 AMA motocross championship with Kerry Hart and Ricky Carmichael, who are way more similar than people think, Yeah. but in terms of like the perceived, oh, it, was, it was just like everyone's yeah. minds got blown. But it's like to take it from that black and white like, were you on Cowie first? Was that the first? We bike started, on was started, that, started on Honda. We started on Honda. Okay. Went to Cowie, then to then to Suzuki. So it's like, what what a trip to yeah. to do that? And I mean, just the effort that I know that it takes to run the team for yeah. a, a person in your position in life to just not have to do that. I think it really showed like your passion for the sport. Yeah. And it, it was a crazy fucking. Just to come from stripper poles to Ken Rocks and win international, yeah, that's a crazy ride, dude. We we had a ten
1: year run from year one to our last year winning the cha- or actually not not winning the championship with Ken, but the next year with uh, with Brock and Bogle. But um, yeah, it was a ten year run, and we st- basically you know we got into this thing f- at that time. Really, my focus was aside from my personal riding career was my my tattoo business and more so the clothing business at that time, and uh, you know. At that time, freestyle motocross guys were making a shit ton of money, you know, myself included, and we were a small business and we weren't really set up to be able to go sponsor a bunch of marquee freestyle athletes or a bunch of athletes in general. And I'd been itching really to get back into the race world. You know, I kind of had a, a, a chip on my shoulder about how I left racing, you know, yeah. myself and, you know, and Metzger and Deegan, a lot of guys kind of got forced out of racing. Um, but luckily enough, we went on to do freestyle motocross and that was successful, but I I definitely had a chip on my shoulder about motocross and I wanted to get back in it and kind of show that, you know, some tattooed scumbag that kind of got shunned out of racing can come back and do something. So when we got back into it, you know, it was myself and Kenny Watson that really started the program and, you know, for the first handful of years, it was, it was a smoke show, literally, you know, because when I went into it, I knew we were going to be working with riders And, and no offense to them, but. Because they of what weren't we were the paying, well, we dudes. we weren't even paying these guys. We we're just taking yeah. them racing. So from that standpoint, you know, our goal was to make mains, and we knew that okay, if we weren't going to win on the track, we had to win we off had to the win track. In the pits. <laughs> exactly, and we were going to win in the pits. And that yeah. and those were the days when, you know, when you would walk through a supercross pit in those days, it was all business. And you know, at best case scenario, you could stand in line for an hour and get an autograph. But you go back in the stadium. There was no atmosphere in the pits. There was no excitement. It was very, very. I mean, there was no music. It was extremely dry, and that's the one thing I'm kind of proud about because
0: because yeah, now when, it's a lot different.
1: Now it's a party, you Tana know. I mean,
0: fucking tundras, and
1: exactly. And you know, Monster has their big old, you know, moving stage and DJs, and you know, and every every team is now activating from some standpoint, and it's brought a lot of excitement to racing because hmm. before that, I mean, that's how we won. I mean, and we were. We were literally bringing people through our truck, and like, where at that time it was like, nope, you got to stay back. You can only get an autograph, yeah. and we don't want you even looking over here and don't look at our bikes. We were bringing people through, and we had Rockstar as a sponsor, and we were doing Rockstar beer pong, so people could come into our truck and like be under the canopy and play Rockstar pong and listen to music, and and the I and you before guys had
0: DJs and shit, well, yeah, we had guest Kenny DJs on the mark.
1: yeah, we had guest DJs coming through. Like my buddies from Cotmouth Kings would come through and DJ, and different people and. And without knowing it, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, like I, I've foreseen boom. the yeah. future, but at that time, that was, that was before creating content was really a thing yet. That was yeah. before data collecting was a thing yet. And we would have people come through. And at that point, we we're kind of like, well, let's start getting everybody's email information so we can start sending an email blast out. So we started that. And then we went from pen and paper to actually using iPads and collecting data. And what a lot of people don't know is like, as we were a smoke show and we evolved this thing, we signed all of our major contracts before Kenny came along and we lost them while Kenny was winning the championship because that machine caught up. Meaning where, take Jimmy John's sandwich shop, okay? Jimmy John's sponsors NASCAR and they know what their return, investment is on nascar and they know if they spend x amount of dollars in this footprint they're gonna get a return on that now we signed them and, it, and all fast track really quickly because at that time nascar wasn't really collecting data so they came to us and like wait a minute you can give You're me getting data. i'm getting you know five thousand unique email addresses every week for how many races that's what we sold our program on yeah. and it's and people are always kind of like scratching their head like well you won the championship and then your team went away two years later It's like, it's not about what you do on the track, because you know how many times I got a phone call from Jimmy himself at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning, and he's rewatching the live feed of the Supercross. And he's like, dude, I can't see my fucking logo. Like, what's what's happening out there? I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. He's like, well, I mean, it's great. We're doing the pits, but now NASCAR is doing that as well. And we eventually started to lose sponsors Mm. because of shitty TV packages and bullshit with Feld. And that, so long story short, like it's, it's funny, like how we kind of started doing this smoke show literally. And as the program evolved, that smoke show is what got us going with those sponsors and got us to win a championship. And then at a certain point, me and Ricky are like, you know what? I'm kind of done traveling. I'm done going to 25 events a year. And we all have kids now. We're not in our teens
0: anymore or twenties and thirties and kind of let her go off the pasture. Dude, it, it gets, uh, a lot harder than people think. And especially the mechanics like oh, yeah. that's the one thing I learned from my couple of years doing the entire circuit with JDR mm-hmm. is that the mechanics are on like no money and doing the craziest job, the craziest travel schedule. Like it's really hard. Even for me as like a dude that was filming these races mm-hmm. to just keep on that grind, man. Like that. Oh, it's that, brutal. That shit's brutal, dude. And like, I remember one day in particular at Bud's Creek, and it was like just so fucking hot. And I'm this kid that frothed on motocross my whole life, would have given anything to be at Bud's Creek. And I was like halfway through the season. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm watching out here. <laughs> I'm watching this shit on Fox and I'm going back in the semi. Yeah. And I watched the motos of Bud's Creek my first time there Yeah. inside the in semi. The truck. Oh, yeah. I was just like, I'm over it. It's, it's brutal. It's a grind.
1: It is. You know, I mean, you know, for us and it's all race programs, you know, we, we start the 15th of September. I mean, mm. 15th of September is testing and development and monster cup. And, and you run that all through preseason. And then you got, was it 32 races between supercross and outdoor. And when that checker flag flies at Ironman, everybody gets two weeks vacation, which basically is the first of September. And you start again the 15th of September. And that, that is repeat for mm. the 10 years we did it. You know, and for me it was like I'm selling trying to sell sponsorship from, you know, June until December. And then surprise, races start here, and then I was obligated to go to fifteen to sixteen supercrosses, another ten sponsorship appearances. So I was on the road for twenty five weekends out of the year and dude it's just a grind and stressful.
0: Yeah, and it's it's people always say like and it's definitely one of the things. I mean, and I'm sure you could even see this with uh, Alicia and what she has to go through people are like yeah. you live in the dream man I'd give anything and it's like you, Dude, would, that's the you dream. would give anything to see the fucking nightmare <laughs> yeah, you would give anything Yeah, but you're not there and yeah. it changes when you're actually in all this and I mean even like she just copped a bunch of shit the other day because didn't she have to cancel yeah, she some shows yeah. and it's like people get sick man like every single person goes like like even uh, I had a friend the other day that was saying like, oh man, I got so sick and then work just wouldn't let me, like wouldn't let me not come in. They're like, you have to come in. I'm like, fuck them. And it's like, they're probably the same people that they bought the concert tickets. And are complaining. And then they're like, oh, she's sick. You got the best job in the world and you're going to be, and it's like, "Mm, come on, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's brutal. I mean, I don't know. I I guess, I guess kind of answer your question or to, to, to jump on that topic. It's yeah. From the outsider, And even in my shoes in my 20s, her shoes in her late teens, you would give your fucking left nut to be in that truck and at that event and racing and living that lifestyle. Understandably, fast forward 20 years, it's not quite as exciting and not to mean that not to say that it's not as exciting for her, but the perception, oh, it's all rock and roll. Well, you know what? In your early 20s, when you can party all night, go on stage and then party all night or Contest and rage all night and sleep all day and repeat the next day, sure. But when you got two kids, you're in the, you know, for her in her late 30s, does a gnarly fucking show, super physical show. She ain't up there lip-syncing like the rest of them are. She's up there putting it down, singing. She's it's, doing circus exactly alike. Like, it's, you, you, you and she'll do this run, she'll do 200 plus shows in two years. It's fucking crazy. And not including the six months that we were out doing promo, flying all over the world with the kids so that she could go do radio spots and TV spots. I mean, it's a three-year cycle from start to finish. It's gnarly.
0: Yeah. And it, it's... The thing is, too, and I think that this just comes with life in general, right? Is it like... If you're this, ta- like, this talented, talented person, you're at so far on the extreme end of talent, then that equal measure, there's darkness that's oh, yeah. there. So for whatever light you've got, for whatever the... The, the highest high is yeah. there's an equally low low. Oh yeah. So it's always this trade-off and if you live your life in this middle where you don't have like these crazy highs you're not going to have these crazy lows. Yeah. But the further you start creeping your your spectrum of you know getting to where you're in a stadium performing for 150,000 people then the equal is true on the low end of the equation oh, totally. and the, the pressure that it, it would be Uh, take to kind of keep that up and all of the things that then come with that. Yeah. And I just think that the people that can make those calls that say like, fuck, you live in the dream, man. It's their highs and their lows. They, they just don't have the same perspective as what people have when they're actually living it. Oh, for
1: sure. And it's, it's all about what you want to put into it. You know I mean? For myself with my career, as well as my wife, it's, it's always been a business business first. Like I trained, I worked hard at it. I you know, I didn't get too consumed in the lifestyle, which I'm sure you know a lot of athletes do. And it was a machine and I treated as a business, just like my wife does. She doesn't you know, she there is no blurring of pink and Alicia. I mean she's the same person on stage as off the stage. And I think that's why people can relate to her so well. And I think it's why people relate to me so well. I mean like you brought up earlier, I'm I'm sort of the working class dude's guy. Yeah. But the people that get so consumed in it like you're saying That's where it can go awry, and it's funny because like, I've (laughs) I've just been playing catch up on a lot of TV shit while we've been on the road. Like, I'll put stuff on while I'm working out, and I just finally started watching this Red Bull series from when Ken was writing for me. It's like called MX Nation or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's funny because I just watched it a couple days ago, but there was like this this part of this interview where it was going back and forth between Ken being interviewed and Dungey and Alden Baker being interviewed. And Ken, and this is when Ken was writing for me and Ken's like, dude, I gotta have fun. If I'm not having fun, I'm going to suck on the fucking weekends. I'm going to be burned out. And he was talking about why he went away from Alden Baker. But then you have Alden's interview and Alden's like, well, if it means burnout and more championships, then I'm going to push my guys to go win more championships and burn out earlier. And it's like what you're just talking about, like the good and the bad, the light and the dark. It's like, you know for me it's like do i want to be number one or do i want to be like number five and have a fuck ton of fun and do it for a long time yeah. I'll, I'll take number five
0: it's and dude dunge is the guy that was called cool. he want he wanted that legacy he wanted every championship and now he's pieced out he's but done. dude the first podcast i did was with dunge mm-hmm. and i'm like all right what's next for ryan dungey like he doesn't have a clue yeah there's nothing else yeah and i've felt I didn't feel sorry for him because it was the choices that he made, but I was really surprised that there's this guy that's this like beacon of hope and a Wheaties box dude. And he doesn't even know what he wants to do with the rest of his life at 27 years old because he was so consumed with racing. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's just the choice. Like that's the choice that he made. And even when people want to say like, oh, Dungeons life must be perfect. Could you imagine being 27? and your entire life and identity is wrapped into a thing that you don't do anymore.
1: Well, I think that's also, you know, there's there's obviously been a, some pretty gnarly deaths in action sports over the last couple of years and I think that's something that people don't really talk about is like what happens life after motocross or what happens life after being an athlete, you know? there's I think there's a fine line between like this whole con- concussion syndrome thing that's happening mm. and just post-athlete depression. I mean, there's guys committing suicide left and right because it could be concussion syndrome or it could be, dude, I, I no longer have an identity. I am 32 and I'm washed up and I got to go find a job and I don't want to live this life anymore. Mm. You know? And, and I know that's a very extreme situation, it's of it, real, but, dude. it's real, but I'll tell you what, a guy like Ken, Ken, if he, tomorrow he won his last championship he's and he's like, I'm done, baby. he's going to be like, all right, I'm going to go fucking wakeboarding today. Yeah. And then I'm going to go party with my buddies and then yeah. I'm going to go to Germany. And like that kid knows how to go have a good time Yeah, because I feel like he's balanced pleasure and, and fun times with competitive, serious life. And I think he's going to be one of those dudes that enjoys it more. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm stoked to see Villa Poto right Dude, now because I don't really time. know Villa that well. I mean, I know him just from the races. But now seeing him post motocross career, like, dude, doing beer bongs after when the 125 race, I was like, fuck, dude, why didn't you do that in your career? Like, that would have no. been so punk rock. <laughs> you dude. know, I mean, like, like, talk about like, you know, I mean, like, he's getting sleeve now, you know, beer bongs on the podium. And I know it's a different, different lifestyle and a different time. But, you know, I'm I'm glad he's finding himself because that's the thing that makes me most nervous about people.
0: Yeah. Well, you look at, like, I mean, I went through it. Did Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Because-
1: I mean, 100 percent, you know, like. For me, you know, luckily enough, you know, not to go like down a big old long dark story, but you know, I had, we what got was, time, bro. yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> you know, what was considered, which I thought was going to be a career ending injury. I got hurt really bad on Tony Hawk's tour back in 03 mm. and just through dumb luck, I had started to go down the path of opening this tattoo shop, which was just going to be a little passion project. So anyways, you know, you guys kind of know the history on that. I did that, but there was, there has been times in my life, even most recently, you know, like with what I'm doing in B Twin right now. There's times where it's like, oh fuck! Like this is my identity. Like I've been riding motorcycles since I was four. I've been professional since I was 17. So I've been f- f- professional for 25 years. And what am what am I away from a dirt bike? You know, like when people say, "What do you, what do, you do for a living?" How do I answer them? You mm-hmm. know what? You know, and and that's a pretty intense piece that you know. And you know, getting back to the Dungy thing and all that's like, fuck. I mean, I hope he has a good, uh, you know. Uh, infrastructure around him to where, you know, he can go transition and go into do some really fun, positive things and not go to the dark side and be like, well, fuck, what do I do now? I'm 27 years old. I got a boatload of money and I don't know what to do to make myself
0: happy. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a super hard place. And I guess everyone has to go through that at some point in their life. Right. But most people do it in a way more, organic way if that makes sense like without a lot of money without cameras without people knowing who you are so i feel like it's a it's something that we all have to go through i mean dude even like i remember being in the in the states when i was there and i was like 20 some like 23 24 i mean it would have been around the the time we last hung out and it's like i don't really know who the fuck i was yeah you know and it's like i feel like i'm kind of just figuring it out now i just turned 30 But it's like, at the same time, like I didn't have people looking at me. I didn't have, I didn't have any of that. And it's like, I guess now it's a a little bit like that with the podcast, but on like a micro sort of scale. But I feel like I started doing this for the right reason, but I, and I kind of know who I am now, but I mean, I was just a lost kid. We all, we all do it. But the thing is with a guy like Dunge or Ken, it's like, they almost don't have to find out who they are with themselves, it's because they kind of get told who they are by motocross media, by how many championships they win, by the contracts that they get by the people that are around them. Like the yes, men. Yeah. they're like, fuck yeah, you're right. do you? Oh, you're going to kill it, man. Yeah. Ken rocks and so shit. He's just out partying. You're the man. Yeah. So it's like, you kind of, these dudes get told who they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a
1: weird, it's a weird thing. Like, um, uh, I have a buddy of mine who's a professional BMX dirt jumper and, um, You know he's my age. He's forty, and I I feel like we're just really. I mean, yeah, you you can go back to McGrath or 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 Carmichael. Actually, not even Carmichael because he's so young. But you can go back to McGrath or whatever. But prior to like the forty somethings, like my age right now, or even you know getting into like the older moto guys, like you're really just now starting to scratch the surface and getting into guys that have been. You know, let's take motocross for instance. Prior prior to the Jeremy McGrath era no one made enough money to retire from motocross. It was just like, if you're Bob Hanna or Ricky Johnson, it's like, cool, or Jeff Ward, like, cool, you know, I just won a bunch of championships and now I'm going to segue into car racing or I'm going to do something that's going to make me money to keep going because you don't have enough money to retire on. Yeah. And now I feel like you're really starting to see this first generation of, okay, I got a ton of money, to your point, I got a ton of money and I just totally, everything that I am is a dirt bike rider or a professional skateboarder or a BMX rider and, now my life's over and and I've I've been seen through social media and and dot coms like there's been an oversaturation of myself now what do I do you know and it, I think it's just kind of a funny place because most people most of these kids and I say kids because Dungy's a kid and yeah, Ken's a know. kid it's like I wonder if they really think about like post motocross like you live so much in the moment yeah, like you only yeah. think about the the championship that's gonna wrap up in the next six eight weeks like what is your thought process when you hit 35, you know, and it's kind of a, kind of a interesting thing. And we're going to see that play out really kind of moving forward, you know, and whether that's BMX or snow or, or moto or freestyle, you know, I mean, it's, I think a lot of guys get and myself included, like I can go back in my head, you know, for me, my exciting, my most exciting time in my career was the late nineties and early two thousands because I was going somewhere. I was building something. I hadn't quite been there yet. And then as it goes on, like I always kind of kept thinking back in my head, like, Oh man, what am I going to do when this
0: is done? so you had those thoughts when you were oh yeah really i still do i mean why, to this day why do you think that you had those thoughts because like all right so let's look at let's compare you and dunge. we'll just keep that theme going mm. right dunge kind of has it all together right so it's like he kind of has time like he's having the proper rest he's sleeping right he's eating right he's got all these people looking after stuff for him he's got the time to sit there and go like okay what am i gonna do when this is over you were fucking out of control. Mm. You were living this crazy rock style lifestyle party. And if you would compare you two and say, which one do you think was thinking about life after this crazy ride? Kerry Hart would not be the dude that people would pick. Probably not. Yeah. Why do you think you were actually thinking about that stuff?
1: Um, I mean... Well, I mean, I, I grew up pretty broke. I mean, you know, I didn't go without, but you know, my old man was a construction worker. It was just me and him. And he always taught me. So your guy. mom wasn't around? No, huh? my no, mom, my, my, yeah, my mom split when I was like two, like I still talk for but you know, I stayed with my dad and you know, I was always with my old man and you know, he was a hardworking construction worker, barely got by. And his, I mean, there was times where we either had hot water or I had the parts to go race that weekend, you know? Yeah. So, but my point is, is that, you know, he was always you know really strict on me for as far as grades and like keeping a even head on my shoulders and i always kind of looked at it as like look i'm not you know at the time i was a racer before freestyle motocross i'm not a prodigy i'm a fast vegas kid i'm a bit, i'm a mid pack racer at best you know i made some mains you know had a good time but i always knew like look i'm never going to be Jeremy mcgrath and making millions of dollars a year and gonna retire off of this i'm gonna do this as long as i can you know that's why i was really good in school and i was gonna go be an accountant and i always had a plan b but then when freestyle motocross popped in i mean literally overnight we all started making some good money there was a thing where it's like yeah i want to do this forever i'm gonna ride this out but i'd have to be a fucking idiot to think this is gonna last forever yeah. i mean one you
0: couldn't have seen what was gonna happen
1: no no idea and once again it, as fast as it it, it got successful it could have nose dropped two years later, it could have been a like flash a, in the pan. Bubble, yeah. It totally could have been. And, and, and sort of, it was it a was bubble in a way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. luckily it lasted quite a while for a handful of us, but, and, you know, compared to what guys are doing now versus what we were, it's a totally different world. But, but yeah, I was, always, like, even though I could enjoy myself in the moment and I, like I said, I do this today. I can enjoy myself in the moment, but I am always thinking, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next play? What's my next move? Because, you know, me growing up, I mean, like I said, I I didn't live on the streets, but we were broke. I mean, I had a head over a roof over my my head, but I saw how hard my dad worked and what sacrifices I had to give for certain things, and I don't ever want to go back to that again. Especially being frivolous and staying in four seasons and doing Still you know, tours and shit. all, yeah, you know, like doing crazy freestyle motocross tours and you know open open bottle you know nightclubs, blah blah blah. To go from that to swinging a shovel for a living, like I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I was always really looking forward to the next play and and probably put a lot of pressure and stress on myself, but it kind of made me the person who I am. And that's why I was always going after, you know, whether it's my tattoo shops, my nightclubs, my race teams, you know, my businesses, like I was
0: really driven. Yeah. When, When we had Travon, he said that he didn't really realize in the moment that Deegan was cultivating this whole thing and he was creating this rivalry and it was like, Trav just thought Deegan was just a dick that wanted to fuck with him Mm -hmm. but really Deegan was a super smart dude that was cultivating this image and knew that he could play against Travis and make it the all-American kid next door versus the punk rock tattooed freak show yeah totally so but I guess it's like cause Travis isn't a dumb dude but he like Deegan was such a good actor that he actually had Travis fooled to where all Trav had to do was be himself and Deegan's plan would work out fine, and they'd both make millions and millions of dollars. How much of it, because you're a super smart guy, and I think a lot of people, especially back then, would have been like, here's this crazy fucking dude that's just going around, all the tattoos and backflips, and he's got spikes on his fucking armor, and how much were you playing that same game that Deegan was?
1: I wasn't. I was not playing any games. That's also why I didn't get lumped into all that bullshit. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean... Deegan is a smart guy, but if you go shake that tree, you're gonna find a lot of pissed off people over in that camp. Mm. You know, and that's none of my business or anything to talk about. But I stayed in my own lane. You know, I I had I had a plan, and yeah, my,
0: but so you did have a plan. I though, mean, I my guess.
1: plan was is much like of what I tried to do in motocross. I I treated it as a business. I mean, I wanted to have a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, and I wanted to go party with all the boys. But I tried to make it a business from a standpoint of. Leading up to when Freestyle popped in 98, I was living in my van racing Supercross for and outdoors for the prior five years before that. No mechanic. I had a 100 bucks a week and a calling card, okay? Like, I didn't want to go back to living in my van. Great times. I had an amazing time doing it, and I wouldn't train it for nothing, but I felt like I did have a plan, and my plan was to bust my ass and and ride and try to be innovative and be my own person because Mm. at that time, It's like, dude, I don't want to be lumped in with a bunch of other dudes. I mean, I I think Mike, Mike Metzger did a really good job for a long time being his own self. Yeah. Travis was being his own self. You know, Deegan and Larry had their thing going on. I was just going to kind of stay in my lane and do my thing. And I was going to work really closely and good with my sponsors. And luckily enough, I got hooked up with Steve Asifin, who is the same manager that Pastrana has. And I worked. You know, like I didn't just catch cash a check and go out and buy a sports car or a nice house. I worked with my sponsors. I worked with my team managers and through those relationships is what helped me learn to build my brands. Cause I didn't go to college. I didn't have a rich dad or anybody, a sounding board. It was just me and my sponsors and my manager. And I spent time with my sponsors. Like, why are you paying me a bunch of money? You know, well, you we're, you're going to be the face of this new line or this new boot or this new gear, and you know we want the people that follow you to to purchase this stuff. So I learned from all that. That's I can tell you, I made 200 plus mistakes in every business I've ever started, whether it's race teams, tattoo shops, all of it, payroll, whatever. But I knew how to build a brand. Yeah, I knew how to market it, and that's what that's the it's that perception. And if you do that right. Seven times out of ten, everything else will work out. Yeah. You know, but uh, but yeah, I I did have a plan, but I wanted to be professional about it. I wanted to have my own persona and my own self, which that that was me. I that was the nice thing. I I didn't, have, you to didn't act, have to act. You know, it was just me. You know, I was Vegas kid. I was do the next door to TJ Lavin, rode BMX and rode moto and was friends with everybody and rode my ass off and partied my ass off and was always on time for autograph signings. And you know, and one thing I could tell people. If you look at my career from '98 until arguably whenever the end of it was, technically, <laughs> you know, my last year doing contests. Yeah, what is the? I don't end, know. Y'all? Yeah. Who knows? So, I don't think there is. You know, like a... Say, say it's 2015. So you you look at that, you know, 13 year window. I was hurt a majority of it.
0: Yeah, there was a
1: period a of three years where I didn't even ride a motorcycle, but I kept my sponsors. Mm. And I think the, the 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 moral to that story is it ain't about what you do on the bike it's about what you do off the bike or the skateboard or the bicycle or anything else you know i i worked hard and i and i you know i worked hard with my sponsors and my fan base and i busted my ass off my bike probably more than i did on my motorcycle and that's what gave me my longevity i got 4 medals to my name and you know what if i had 3 or 2 or 1 it wouldn't make a difference anyways yeah. like i so that i think my work ethic is what you know and and my own desire to be my own person is kind of what just gave me my longevity
0: what well, you mentioned steve he's like this crazy behind the scenes like puppet master almost and not in like the negative puppet master like he's responsible for a lot of shit oh he is okay. yeah i mean i've
1: so i'm one of his first I mean, uh, steve astin people yeah, yeah. just yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah steve astin with uh, with washerman i was one of his first eight athletes you know, it was me and Bucky Lassick and Bob Bernquist and Dave Miller, Ryan Nyquist and uh, a couple other people. I mean, even Travis came on a couple of years after us and uh, he was Sheckler's dude. Sheckler. I mean, he was Sean White for a long time. I mean, you name it. Every banger That's he's got crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and the thing that was great about Steve was <clears throat> where I once again, I didn't have a college education and I didn't have the know how to negotiate my own contracts at the time and all that stuff. I had a person I could trust. that was like, look, you just go do you. You focus on writing and working with your sponsors and working with your fan base and being at all the events and let me do all the nasty part. You know, I'll Mm. do your contracts and, you know, handle all the billing and and I'll be a good cop. Or he's like, I'll be a bad cop. you be a good cop. Mm. And, you know, over the years I've, I learned a lot through Steve and even through I mean, still to this day, he's still my manager. We've been together for 20 years and he helped me, you know, get my Supercross team started and I I learned a lot from Steve. And then the the irony of it is, is fast forward all these years later, I can now start the conversations and, and, and get the iron in the fire with a sponsor and like through my Supercross team, you know, a lot of the sponsors collectively between myself or Kenny or whoever, like we brought the sponsors and then Steve just kind of closed it and did the contracts. Mm. So I was fortunate enough to learn a lot from Steve for those years. So we've always had a great working relationship that way where I could learn from him and he was always really honest with me but behind the scenes yeah I mean he was he was the backbone of I mean you go back and look through you know all the top action sports athletes from the mid 90s until current day I bet Steve has represented 80 90% of them or has yeah. had some influence in them along the way to help steer them through their career
0: It's 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 definitely crazy and I think that there's there's a lot of people that talk shit about him and I mean I've I've had nothing but good experiences with him um, oh, I mean, he's a fucking agent. He's, he's an agent, liked. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, <the> thing. <laughs> but, like, when you just look at what you said, like 80, 90 percent of people that exploded, like created this bubble. Oh yeah, he's been a part of, and mm-hmm. it's like if you looked at the butterfly effect of Steve Astaphan. Oh yeah, there's a lot of fucking money. There's oh, a sure. lot of shit that went down. Yeah, hundred percent because of this. Dude I mean, from, he's,
1: he's Ken Rockson's yeah. manager, you know? I mean, he's, no, he's a bright dude. Like, I mean, the, the funny thing is he's only three years, two years, three years older than me. Yeah. I mean, we, we, got together in our twenties.
0: Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, he's a guy I'd love to actually get on the podcast. Cause he's a super interesting cat that's had a, he's had a hand in a lot. Oh, yeah. Like it'd be, I just think people would actually f- kind of freak out to know how much stuff he was actually a part of yeah yeah i mean
1: it'd it'd even be funny i i would like to hear that you know because there's a lot of stuff i don't remember due to the the hops and the barley
0: and everything you know yeah when did the when did the backflip first become like a legitimate thing that you were going to try and do because that's something like fuck everything else (laughs) you were the first dude to backflip a dirt bike yeah how many people before you thought of doing it but thought it was impossible well, that was an interesting time in freestyle. You know, that was,
1: once again, you know, 2000. And there, there's this bubble had been created, you know. You know, you had, you had freestyle that kind of burst through the 90s. And first contest started in the late, you know, 98, 99. And, you know, X Games. Anyways, everything was really big and
0: exciting. And it was almost like you, you'd think that it had capped out before the backflip, right? Well, that was the big discussion. And it's like where can this go now? And it was, it was already huge. Yeah. And then when you did that, it's like, it got sent into this stratosphere that people didn't even think it, it could go in. And it, it was already a bubble. And then after that, it was just, it was like a fucking land race after that.
1: It was, it was crazy because at that time, you know, so what, what kind of got to that point was I'd move out, you know, I lived in Southern California, was tired of it. Did so, you do the Temecula thing? Yeah did all that, hated it out there. Um, you know, I want to go back to Vegas after I got, got kind of established, moved back to Vegas. And, um, when I moved back to Vegas, I moved next door to TJ Lavin. Me and Lavin were buddies, TJ Lavin's top BMX dirt jumper. And, um, and at that time, I remember like late night, like 99, I was actually living with him while my house was getting built next door. And there's all this, you know, commotion about, okay, well, great freestyle motocross. It's been an X games, but you know, it's, it's flattened out. How many, how many other tricks can you do? You take your hands off, you take your feet off, you know, supermans, whatever. And, and me, and I've always rode up, grown up riding BMX and me and TJ would ride BMX. I'd ride his backyard with them. And then he'd come ride moto with me. And we just kind of kicked the conversation. I was like, dude, you like, you think it's possible? I was like, I, I think so. I mean, anything's possible. So we kind of talked through it through, through the winter time, like early part of winter. And he's like, Hey, let's go out to Woodward. And Let's go spend a week in Woodward and do ten thousand flips into the foam pit and see what you think. See if you feel that it's possible to transition from a BMX bike to a dirt so bike.
0: So you were flipping the BMX block,
1: yeah. yeah? Because keep in mind, no this is pre, pre, yeah, this is yeah, pre yeah, foam yeah. pit. Yeah. So so me and me and TJ flew out to Woodward out in Pennsylvania and we spent about a week out there in uh, late winter, early spring. And just kind of learned it all, got comfortable flipping and, you know, started the foam pit, then went to Resi, then was flipping the box jumps and dirt jumps. And it just was a slow build over the course of a week. And uh, at the end of, the, and at the time, I was also filming my documentary Good Times um, and it wasn't a planned thing. It was just kind of, you know, a year in the life at that point. So uh, after we spent that week out there and I had my filmer there. We came back and we we're watching all the raw footage and we're talking about it. And I'm like, dude, I, th- I think I can do it. I mean, it's just about getting the bike spinning. You know, I, I'm not going to be able to control it. I mean, at least at that time, you know, I'm not gonna be able to control it as much. But if I can get the inertia going, just fucking hold on. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm young and dumb. Like, 25, twenty five. Yeah. You it. know, it's like I'm twenty six at the time. So uh, so I was like, fuck, I'm, I'm going for it. So leading up to so this was springtime. So leading up to uh, Gravity Games in Rhode Island, which I think was like June. You know, that was, that was the agenda. It's like, fuck it. So my dad, I had like a little private freestyle course, which at that time was just one jump. And we kind of spent three or four days kind of building the landing. Cause back, back in those days, my dad built a lot of the freestyle courses. Like he built gravity and a lot of X oh, games. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He, he built all, he built the first, the the one in Vegas, the first ever contest. He built yeah. that. Yeah. He was, he was the dude in the early 90s or the, the 90s shit. and 2000s building. Yeah. So we kind of just came up with an idea of what we thought was going to make it work. You know, we didn't know, but it just kind of rolled the dice and I just did a shit ton of visualization and, you know, I was still riding BMX with TJ and, you know, trying to flip a bunch on my bike and just start kind of stay in that mindset, get being comfortable upside down. And then, uh, dude rolled out to gravity games and just sent it.
0: That was like, that was the, what is it? The four minute mile that you guys, that's the American thing, like four minute mile, three minute mile, is it? Yeah. Something like that. That, that was the moment. Yeah. That was the light bulb moment where it was like a fucking hole had burst in the space time continuum (laughs) of what was possible yeah and then from there that just the floodgates opened yeah and it's like yeah man like regardless of anything that you, you know you went on to do so much more in terms of contribution to the industry but it's like you strip all the other shit. You were the first dude to do a backflip. No, uh, it was cool, you know.
1: It was uh it was it was an amazing time in my life as well as one of the most torturous times of my life. But uh but it was rad, you know, I mean, to just be from that first one happening and then two weeks later being on jay leno and yeah. the tonight show and on every news station worldwide it was it was insane i mean it just and not only just for me personally but the attention that it brought the sport yeah and action sports in general but like it was it was complete chaos i remember i came over here and because so not knowing I, I compression fractured my back when i when i did that flip and then about four months later i came here to australia back when they're doing the extreme games i think in melbourne and, uh, and it was just a complete fucking frenzy. It was, it was summertime down here because we were going into our wintertime and it was just a frenzy down here. And I literally, I was just ride in t-shirts. I used to compete in t-shirts back then. I had to write with a Sharpie on my back of my t-shirt, no backflips today. Because it was like, ah, oh, you here to flip. And I'm like, no. No, dude. no. and honestly, for me at that time, It wasn't like, oh, this is going to be like a a trick in the stable. It was like, I just want to do this and put it to rest. Like, I don't want to have to keep doing this. Like, especially the, the path I went down with having to then eject six months later. And then like just the course that I rode. Trying to kind of get this thing figured out and done, like it was. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do this all the time. This was just like a one trick pony shot, you know. Yeah. It's it's about qu- qu- what was it? Uh, quality, not quantity.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but you guys, like, you've spent a lot of time in Oz. Is this sort of like a second home for you guys? Like, is this where you come more than anywhere else?
1: Um, I would say consistently, yeah. I mean, for me, through my motocross career, it was huge Krusty's for us. Was massive. Yeah, here was massive for us here. Um. You know, I did quite a few of those tours. But even even after I quit doing Krusty Tour, I would still come over quite a bit and do different stuff and uh, and working with Fox and different companies. And yeah. and then it's always been a strong market for my wife. So, yeah, I mean, through my career and then more so now with her career over the last probably six or seven years, you know, it's kind of slowed down for me coming over here. It's almost like a second home. I just wish we could come here in the summer. I mean, we're just yeah. always chasing winter when we come here.
0: Why but. is that? Is it just how the schedules work out?
1: Uh, one thing I've learned through her job is that people don't want to go inside in the summertime. Mm No, they want to go to outdoor music festivals or outdoor stuff. So she has to chase winter to go get people to go into arenas. So like America, she does wintertime. Soon as she's done with the US tour, we come here to Australia, do their wintertime, or sorry, your wintertime. And then typically, not this time, but typically as we're wrapping up, we usually head to Europe because September is kind of the start of European winter and Mm -hmm. then we'll run through Europe.
0: So she kind of chases winter. What's it? What's it like at the moment? Because I mean, I sp- spent a lot of time in the U.S., and as I was leaving, was when all the shit started to go down. Like I watched the election campaign. Oh, it's nuts. I like I, I watched it, <laughs> and then I was I, I was in Australia when Trump got elected. Uh-huh. But I mean, I I remember, and I've said it on here before. The day that Trump officially ran, I knew he was going to win. I, like yeah, I, I wish yeah. I I wish I put money down on it. Yeah. I didn't, but. The, the shit storm that's followed, and it's like if you follow any political kind of stuff at all, which I know you do, yeah, it, it's a fucking bizarre time to be an American. It is. And it's a bizarre time to live in America. And being an
1: American traveling abroad. And that's what I was going to say. Like,
0: <laughs> like right now you're in the Gold Coast, which is as fucking laid back as life gets yeah, you walk yeah, down totally. the beach you just you're cruising even in winter the weather's not that bad you yeah. can still surf yeah rules you know it's it's a good spot but there's no turmoil here there's no yeah like we've got a little bit of stuff but i feel like it's your average political ecosystem yeah. where you you need opposition yeah so you're always going to have that but i feel like what's going on in the u.s is some fucking next level shit
1: it's bananas you know uh, and you know i want to start by saying i it doesn't matter because I'm here in Australia. I would say whatever I'm about to say over the course of the next period of time, I would say the same thing in America. Um, it's, it's fucking nuts because I think I'm I'm a bit of an anomaly as well as probably full of shit from a standpoint of, I think the two-party system's broken. I think it's government's fucked, broken. Yeah. I think it's all fucking broken and I'm a bit of a prepper and I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like best man for himself because mm. shit has just gone so fucking astray that there's gonna have to be some major upset to recalibrate everything but with that said it's nuts you know it's like everything is so politically correct back home and you can't hurt anybody's feelings and if you say something like anybody that follows me on Instagram yeah, I, I do it yeah. I, I'm raw but and I also do have enjoyment because I I appreciate debate yeah I will debate somebody if that the sky is purple if I feel that it's purple I will fucking debate you to it and I won't be rude and I won't be nasty about it but I love a good debate and a good conversation and uh, and I think that there's a piece of that has gone so far away that it's so much about being oh loyal to your party or I'm a Republican or you're a snowflake or you're yeah. you know like it's like no fuck that you know like I get in conversations with people about the election in America America's like oh well you you know the, the thing I always get is like oh you hate Trump so much I bet you're just heartbroken that Hillary wasn't elected I said no she was fucked as well yeah I said the sad part is those are the t- only two monkeys that we had to choose from yeah. You know, like it's a broken system and it's, it's nuts back home. It's absolutely nuts. And I, it's, it's like watching that movie, you know, it's an old movie of was it, called idiocracy. Like it's, mm. it is reliving idiocracy. It's like, it's out of control, the shit that's happening and the shit that people are getting away with. And it's just absolutely nuts. I just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just stockpiling ammo and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, learn, you know, we we grow
0: our own fruits and vegetables and we got a pond full of fish and I'm preparing for the, the apocalypse. You, yeah. So it's like a, it, it, it's getting to the point where it has to be a concern for people right because it's like but then there's part of me that's like man like how bad can it really get like are they gonna let it get that bad but then it's like fuck like it, it's weird right now like and especially if you look at the way that like YouTube's pulling people offline Facebook's people pulling people offline like you, you know Alex Jones obviously have you Who's heard that? of Alex Jones he's the sure. crazy dude that has that Infowars channel um where he said like he, he he started off saying some pretty good shit but he's like a conspiracy guy is he the one that said, the the said the Sandy thing? oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah, Sandy, a, yeah, yeah yeah so that's him so youtube's pulled him not just demonetized like pulled him uh-huh. uh facebook pulled him itunes pulled his podcast completely offline so like he doesn't have a platform he's been totally yeah platform which goes against the first amendment yeah exactly. which is freedom of speech yeah so it's like that's a that's now a thing that you guys are dealing with mm-hmm. and then there's all this crazy shit of like oh that's hate speech and then there's uh you you can't like all of the uh gender pronouns and trying to like uh, compel speech as yeah. opposed to respect freedom of speech like it's getting into a a super weird place and it it's worrying now i guess because there's policy being made around it yeah which is it's like you can be a prepper or you can be a conspiracy theorist all you want, but it's like when you start making policies that pull people and effect, away, uh, yeah. yeah, and that is amendment sort of, you know, you stripping people of, of rights. It's like, is it the beginning of the end? Oh, it's bananas. I mean, and I'm going to sound like a dinosaur, but
1: I personally think, and it's not that it's ever going to change anything or it's going to have any influence, but the the issue is, is the internet and social media. Mm. I mean, you look at politics wasn't any better in the 40s, 50s, 60s. It was just as fucking bananas. I mean, and thought processes and dropping bombs on countries. I mean, nothing has changed, but you have this influx of information. And not only do you have information, most of it's wrong. And on Mm -hmm. top of it, everybody is allowed to give their opinion on that information. Yeah. There's no more tune in to Channel 5 News at 6 p.m. And that's where you get your two hours of information each day it's at your fingertips and on top of it, you're not even being able to do You're not only ingesting the information, but everybody small or large has a platform to respond to that. And that I think is where it has gone to hell in a handbasket because through that is what's like, as we're sitting here right now, we were having a conversation about how fucking rock and roll and crazy it was in my lifestyle back in the nineties. And I could be that way because the only people that could judge me were the people that actually were sitting or the people, the that people, that sitting, that or the people are just yeah. sitting there watching that video. You can only judge me to your four friends that were watching that video at that time. Yeah. That was your platform. Fuck these guys. Look at these stupid Americans acting like assholes. yeah That was all you could do. Now, pull out your phone or Fuck your podcast guy. or, or yeah. Luck. Fuck this. Exactly. Guy. Yeah. And that's I think that's the biggest downfall is that you have people that have to censor themselves or, you know, a, you know, say a government legislator, you know, oh, well, fuck I really feel this way but I have to go along with Trump or this person or that person or this podcast person because if I don't I'm going to be castrated and I'm no longer going to have my prop platform which means I'll no longer have my paycheck. Yeah. So everybody is now is being basically censored because of the fallout. It's not about even what their opinion is anymore. It's just about What's the fallout? And unfortunately enough, fortunately, unfortunately, however you look at it, Trump is the one jerk off out there that will say whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. <laughs> and and everyone's afraid to do anything because it's like, what, do you go against them or do you back them? And then what's the fallout from that? It's, it's just completely bananas.
0: Yeah. And but I guess that there's like a duality to that, too, though, because there it's it's like what we said, you got the light, you got the dark. Like there's the dark of that, which is that every fucking kook that shouldn't be able to directly message you like mm-hmm. people can now directly message carry yeah. Hart, oh yeah and say you're a fucking loser yeah and they do on a daily basis totally. i'm sure yeah and it's like but at the same time that's like the negative and then at the same time a kook like me can start a podcast that and actually try and deliver people some good information yeah. or tell some story and i don't need to be approved by the five o'clock news guy yeah so it's like it's a slippery slope yeah that where it in, is we're in this really bizarre time but i feel like i mean fuck do we just have negativity bias to where we like pay more attention to the negative stuff than the good stuff uh, unfortunately like, there is a lot of good shit out there there is but un- is that because like let's say you get let's say you post a video of your new bike right mm. and you get 99 comments that are really good and then you get one piece of shit. Yeah. Whose comment do you reply to?
1: Uh, me what personally. One, what one
0: hurts the f- really gets you?
1: The thing is, for me is uh, I I have a I I don't know I, don't, I have a very thick skin mm. and I have conversations with this about my wife all the time because my wife does not. Um, I have very thick skin. It does not bother me. I I will sit here and look you in the face and tell you I don't give a fuck what people think about me, and that is the truth to my core. Yeah. I know I'm a good person. I have a good moral compass. I'm a good dad, good husband, whatever. That's all that's important for me. Everything else is just comedy hour. Mm. I, I post all this crazy shit to get the, you're the an antagonist. Po- I am yeah. 100%. And I, when I sit there on the shitter in the morning and I'm drinking my coffee and I'm waiting for my kids to wake up, it gives me something to do in the morning. Yeah. And 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 hopefully people get to think a little bit. But yeah, I, I just think it's, it's this rabbit hole of where, yeah, you're just getting so much information and... It's I I don't know. I, I, I'm going to sound archaic right now, but I really think it needs to be censored a bit from a standpoint of not what the government can do to censor media, but people need to censor themselves. Like, dude, put your fucking phone down, put an alarm on it. Yeah. You get two hours a day on it. That's it. Like, that's all you get. You get two hours a day on your phone. Outside of emails and text messages and phone calls of business, you get two frivolous hours a day and then your phone should lock you out. Yeah. And then go for a fucking walk or go on a bike ride or go spend time with your kids or go pick up trash on the freeway. Go do something productive. I think that's the problem is these little minions will be in front of their phone or their computer for hours on end of the day. And then it's just the fucking machines off and running. I mean, I think, like I said, I sound archaic, but I think the internet and social media, more so social media, is what has ruined everything because yeah. everybody has a voice. I mean, I just watched the, I think it was the CEO of Twitter, go on and say, yeah, it's it's fucked up, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, we kind of suck, you know, well, but it's it's, the, it's that, the machine,
0: it's that unintended consequences of stuff, right? It's like uh the industrial revolution you're like yeah. oh shit look at all got this, got this stuff. Great idea. yeah look oh, at all wait, this great idea oh wait they're gonna use,
1: make. they're gonna turn it into a bomb but that's what it was it was for yeah exactly yeah, i watched the guy on twitter He's talking about it I was like yeah we we put uh f- we put followers on there not as a purpose we put it on there just because oh we could figure out people might be interested in who's following them yeah now that's the only people who care about it with fucking social media is their followers he's like one piece that we had to add that we thought we would just do just cuz that is the one driving force behind this entire app.
0: And you know that from owning a team. Like, oh, ho- how many course. followers have you got? Exactly. Car- Terry hard. How many followers have you got? That's we what I was getting back you to, to you earlier. Yep. I know.
1: I mean, honestly, it, <laughs> and here I am calling the kettle black. If I didn't have my social media platform, I probably wouldn't have most of my contracts in place right now because I wouldn't be able to leave and go chase my family around for two years at a time without social media. Yeah, I know it's a necessity. I know it's a it's, a, it's an evil. And I know it's an evil that I'm profiting off of. But back to the moral compass of it all, I think that's the biggest problem. Mm. And I think it's the biggest problem is people, people forgot to go h- how to live their own lives. They live lives through social media and perception through social media. I mean, you've heard a million times. When was the last time someone posted, you know, when they got out of bed and they were fucking hung over and their hair's all over the place and their makeup smudged? Yeah. Now they put the perfect filter on. They, 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 pr- they project their perfect life
0: yeah. and it's not reality it's funny that people, um, like even my brother, he's like gone off Instagram. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Oh, it just fucking makes me bummed out. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have that. And I don't know why, but I, I could see why people, uh, do get like that, especially girls. Mm -hmm. I think that it's a, it's a very slippery slope for women to, and that's, I think that's one thing that I always really respect with, alicia is that she's very pro like be yourself yeah respect you, like love your own body love yep. other people because if, if you're a girl like we get told or girls get told what beautiful is what beautiful should look like yeah. and you're right that it's always this makeup it's like this pressure that totally that women must feel to then go out into the world and look like the way that everyone is posting but we know that's not yeah. real life and i mean i'm sure you wake up and give her a kiss in the morning and her breast smells like shit exactly exactly but it's like that's not the message that we get that's not the popular message no so it's like i can see where people would would have that but for me it's like i feel like i use social media just to kind of fire me up like i look at when you're building a new bike and i'm like fuck that's rad like i don't get that thing where i go like oh i don't have an indian yeah i wish i had a dope indian yeah i got this fucking old cr250 that i blew up last weekend yeah and it's like it's almost like people need to use it as a tool it's like what side of the coin do you want to be on do you want to be the guy that's like damn carrie's new bike sick and then use that to like fire you up maybe you don't have the the raddest indian and a dope shop and you can't weld but it's like fire yourself up. Yeah. If that's something you want to do, yeah. then go do a welding course. It's the truth, and, you know. So it's like, but I,
1: that's, but that's you just hit the nail on the head. If you were, to, if people were to use it for what its intention was, yeah. Where when the guy that started Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and everything else, like it was supposed to be a positive thing. Well, I mean, I don't know about Facebook after watching that movie, but but you know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying like it, it was supposed to be a positive thing. Like if you used it that way, like that's how I use it, like. I got into bike building through seeing bikes I saw on social media and, and my own interest back. Oh, I like that. stuff. I'm going to do it a little bit different. Yeah. If people saw something and then went away from their phone and went out and learned a new trade or went out and bought a dirt bike and learned how to ride or whatever it may be, take a singing class or learn how to play an instrument and leave your phone over here for a while and go experience life then it was being used for what its purpose was. But it has become such a rabbit hole and, and, you know, and, well i wouldn't say especially for women i mean same for guys in different you know respects but yeah for women it's got to be brutal you're you're held to this unrealistic bullshit and then they slap filters and then you see all this kardashian bullshit happening and all the rest of it it's it's i, I think what i think to answer your question how your brother is i think 80% of the world needs to go your brother's path and just clip it and yeah, the 20% the because yeah. there's just nothing positive that comes out of it yeah and, and I I can sit here and tell you right now I enjoy social media and I try to use it for 95% positive. That's why I post a lot of stuff with my kids and writing and all the good stuff. I rarely ever go on there minging and whining about anything. But... I will tell you that when it's no longer a necessity for my career, yeah, I will be off of it. I'm yeah. going to go back to a flip phone. I'll have a PO box. <laughs> you can either write me a letter, call me. I Page won't have, yes, I won't have, I won't get texts. You either call me, send me a letter or show
0: up on my doorstep. Yeah, dude, that's like one thing that when I, I don't know why this is. I spoke to this about a friend of mine, uh, uh to a friend of mine. She's from the Midwest and she's like, Oh, what do you like? What, what do you like more now that you live back home? And I was like, man, people just fucking show up at your doorstep. Yeah, and I've I'm, I miss that in America. Yeah, and it it seemed like it's a maybe a more Australian thing that people just like rock up with a six pack of beers. And no, it used to be. An, it's
1: an, where I live, it still happens.
0: Yeah, I just it's just I, unfortunately I miss that over there. Yeah, it's gone. It's going away. No,
1: over there now, it's it's people stay connected through group texts. Yeah, it's bananas.
0: It's crazy to me. Like, yeah, I I definitely. I just I, I miss that um, that element of and I think it's maybe because we grew up in a small town as well it's probably the same yeah. for you but yeah like people just show up to your house it's everything feels like contrived now mm-hmm. to where it's like oh we'll meet at Nobu at 9 and we'll have pre-drinks and then it's it, it seems like almost like bullshit. everything's for the gram now it is even just the the simplest like kind of basic interactions it is it drives me crazy and,
1: and maybe I'm the asshole for even saying this but I've been to 99% of my wife's shows over the last year and a half that she's been on tour. And it's like, dude, put your fucking phone down and enjoy the fucking show. Yeah. Are you going to actually sit back and watch that? Now, look, we've all been guilty. Snap a picture. I posted one last night, a little video before my wife's show started. I get it. But dude, be in the fucking moment. Yeah. Enjoy that ticket that you just paid for and that $20 beer and watch the fucking show and park your phone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it seems it seems like well, I but mean, that's everything. It's that's not yeah. I'm saying it's not just. I mean, that's that Looks is like,
1: everything. That's sporting events. It's it's everything in life. It but it's nuts. Like people on the beach right now, we're we're staying on the beach in the Gold Coast, and most people are walking on the beach with their phone fucking filming them rather than staring at this beautiful fucking ocean.
0: It's like a it's a uh, it's a it's a form of currency now. Mm-hmm. Like the likes that you get and the followers that you have. There's a legitimate currency in that, man. Yeah.
1: And it's... Well, it's endorphins. People get a lot of likes on something and they feel good and it's a false sense of reality and it's a false sense of I'm doing something good and they feel, you know, completed for the day.
0: But it's bogus. It's not real. Mm. Yeah, it, we're definitely living in a in a weird time with that. But you, I guess you have to keep into perspective that it's a new thing. Yeah. Like, we're living through the... Like, I feel like everything has a way of writing itself, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like... We like you posted a thing about religion the other day. Mm -hmm. So I personally think I'm not religious at all. Mm. I hate religion. I I respect people's belief in something. In something, 100%. But I think the organized religion religion side of it. But at the same time, I think that when organized religion was at its height around, basically when they were created, that pushed us to where we are now. I think that we needed organized oh cause and religion. effect for everything yeah. yeah but now it seems like the cycle's coming back around more than ever people are saying that they're not religious and then it's like that ship is starting to level out And we're And we're we're slow. I mean, I can see a time. That's why I want aliens. I want aliens in my life. (laughs) Because can you imagine when the aliens come? It's It's like, like, what the fuck are you guys doing down here? You get a Muslim dude, and you get Uh a Christian dude, and then you get a Jew, and they're all like, fuck everything. All of this shit. It's all bogus. All of it. What do we do now? (laughs) (laughs) So I I wish we could do that. But I feel like there will be a, a point where it's like something will happen. Science will prove something to where because it's like right now you really you could say to someone like your religion is bullshit but that would at this point right now 2018 fucking August whatever you can't actually say that Hmm. with 100% fact No, just like they can't with 100% fact say to us that we're wrong But I think there will be a time when that can be proven to a hundred percent yeah but then you're gonna get retards at but think then the it words be flat yeah so it's like it'll i feel like that. there's a hundred percent evidence of that but i feel like with all this like the social media it's like we're going through it's like the early religion stage and then it'll slowly start to kind of level out i hope so
1: because if you think about it think about this timeline that'll kind of fuck you up the internet's only been around for less than 20 years yeah and
0: social media's only been around for Eleven, Dude, when I started filming, we didn't have Instagram. Yeah. And we barely had Facebook to where, like, I was telling companies that I'm like, no, no, you got to start making videos for Facebook. This is going to be the next big thing. I'm 30. Yeah. And I was ahead of this trend. So it's like, that's not a long time.
1: Yeah. And my point is, think how fucked up things are in that short amount of time. I hope it's at a swing because in another 20 years, if it's on this same fucking course it's it's going to be detrimental
0: yeah it, it's funny i had uh, i had a guy on the podcast he's a aboriginal elder right and so there's all this new evidence that's coming out that's saying that australian aboriginals are some of the oldest uh living humans on the planet uh-huh. and isn't it funny how you're growing your own vegetables you've got your own fish in your pond you're starting to go back to that oh yeah you've got a tribe yeah, like totally. You, you've got a little tribe that oh, you're sure. trying to be self uh sustainable. Yeah. And it's like everything is going back to when we were these indigenous populations. Yeah. And like David was saying, like all the kind of rituals and all the stuff, all the food, all the ways that they lived as indigenous Australians, mm-hmm. we're all kind of moving to that. We're all trying to get off I the grid. So. We're all trying to. So I guess it's like are we in a race to where things get fucked up like big time and then we get back to that primal? Like, is that like this neck and neck race? And it's like, that's the, that's the thing.
1: I, I personally think things have gone so shit sideways in the eighties, nineties and two thousands. I mean, think about that period of 30 years, you know, you had, I mean, at least like from an American standpoint, you know, you had the, you know, 20s, you know, industrial revolution, and then you had like 50s, 60s, you know, leave it to beaver working class, handmade, you know, like for us, American made Detroit. Yeah. And then you look at the, you know, really the eighties, nineties and early two thousands and it's like fucking shit on everything. Yeah. Source everything out. Fucking pump steroids into your food and your animals and everything that you eat, and sit on your couch and fucking eat McDonald's and go on the fucking internet. Mm. I mean, think about like that thirty-year fucking <laughs> period, <laughs> yeah. how it's gone from like Woodstock to where we are right now, you know, or you know, like I said, like the the fifties and sixties of the working class man, like welding and using his hand to trade you know, trade school has completely gone away and no one mm. has a trade anymore. That's like it's, the,
0: that's the thing that blew me away about living in America, right? So like my brother left school at fifteen and he got a builder's apprenticeship. He's a fucking carpenter by the time he's nineteen. Yeah. Right? I did not meet one carpenter no in america no. I, that i live with and i mean that was like a frustrating thing for me too and like i mean because I, I lived in temecula we had a mexican pool guy we had a mexican dude that did our lawn yep. and it was like everyone would shit on them and then you take it to a mexican dude to wash your car yep. but still everyone is shit on, oh mexican's yep. fucking took in our job they're the ones cooking like, your food yeah no one wants to do those jobs yeah and and it frustrated me to because i come from a place like when i was a kid i had a lawn mowing business yeah my dad used to drive me around i'd go and knock on people's doors and then i'd go hey can i mow your lawn for 25 bucks Mm -hmm. and then i'd ride my bike back home tell dad the address and then he'd drive me back and then i'd mow the lawn and then i'd keep knocking on doors until i found another lawn to mow yeah and it's like then we've got this uh, like trade schools, massive here. Like everyone gets a trade. Like the That's dudes, great. That, the There's dudes nothing that in do, America. yeah, the dudes that do the best. Are like a friend of mine, he raced with us on the weekend. Twenty something year old guy. Like I don't even think he's thirty yet. Mm-hmm. The dude's got a fucking GMC Denali. He uh, just killing it. All the f- best bikes. He does balustrades and roofing. Mm-hmm. Works his fucking ass off. Yeah, and it's like. I think that's another thing that that is really driving all this wackiness at the moment is that everyone goes to college and I think the drinking age really holds back America too to where it's like Uh you kind of get like we started drinking at 18 here yeah so but agree we were drinking at 16 16 yeah and then by the time I was 18, like when I moved to America, I was 21. I was fucking over it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't care. I was yeah. like, dude, I want to make some money. Yeah, exactly. I've been partying since I was 16. I'm mm-hmm. fucking ready to, I'm ready to rip. Totally. But then it's like you guys go at, to college. Piss and away then, three of your four years. And yeah. no one's doing shit. And then you, you get an arts degree or whatever the fuck yeah, you get. getting. Bullshit. And it's like, no, like that value of digging a hole and yep. building something with your hands be yep. it like a fabricator or a welder or
1: even just you know getting in and being you know you want to be a fucking CEO of a music industry start as a fucking apprentice and work your way up like yep. yeah yeah everyone every, that's the problem you know everybody wants age of entitlement. to put in uh, well, age of entitlement they want to put in as little work as possible and get paid way too much mm. yeah you know, i was the same way every from the time i turned 10 years old Every single summer, my dad would make me go work for one of his asshole buddies. I did drywall, I did plumbing, I did landscape, I poured concrete, I did asphalt for my old man, which that's the business that he owns. I did pool decks for my uncle. I mean
0: asphalt in Vegas. Was
1: brutal. Absolutely fucking brutal. And that's what my dad's been doing for 40 plus years. My uncle Joe owns a successful concrete company. And that's what I did every summer because my old man wanted to make sure that the last thing I was going to fucking do <laughs> when yeah. life was over or motocross didn't pan out was go swing a shovel, do an asphalt. Yeah. And that's what I learned. But you have to take those licks. Yeah. Nowadays, there is no more of that, you know, like. I don't see kids having summertime jobs. I see kids going fucking off and going to Carbo. being lazy. Or yeah, or just or even kids that don't have money just going and fucking off and yeah. just doing nothing. Just sitting around just doing nothing, being on a
0: fucking computer
1: on their smartphone. Yeah. How just do you doing nothing?
0: All right. How do you balance it out then to where you've got two kids, mm-hmm. you guys have a fuck ton of money. And like that's the definition of privilege, which mm-hmm. your kids can't choose. Yeah. They didn't ask to be born into that. Yep. How did then you balance that out? Well, what we do... That's like, got to be a challenge. It, it is a challenge. And that was, the,
1: that was the decision that me and my wife made. That we weren't going to raise our kids in LA or Malibu around mm. that shit. We were going to, you know, preferably move small town or to a farm. You know, we wanted to be on a working farm. And that's what we do with our kids. I mean, even like right now with Willow. Willow, every day, my wife averages four shows a week, sometimes up to six. And she, we get to the venue. Well, first of all, we have her, her tutor that goes on, on the road with us, so she does her schoolwork. And then once we get to the venue, she has to go around and get all the staff, all, all the dancers and bands uh, post-show meal. So she, ha- she has a job, so she has to spend an hour oh, and a half go around get everybody's food order. So she does that, and then when she's done with that, she'll come back, she'll da- she'll either do uh, piano class or lira class or dance class, one of the three. So that consumes her time for another couple hours. Then we all sit down to have dinner together as a family, our little guy, Willow, and my wife. And then when my wife starts getting ready for the show, Willow will kind of hang out with me, we'll mess around. And then when the show starts, she actually goes underneath the stage and works the girl's quick change for the entire show. No shit. So she has a job and she gets paid a buck a day and she gets seven bucks a week and she gets two dessert coupons each week so she can have dessert twice a week and she has a job. So every day that we're traveling, she has a job. And on days off when we're not at the venue and she doesn't have a job, we go ride bicycles, we go surfing, we go to museums and we stay productive, but she has a job. And when we get home, she works in my wife's vineyard. She comes, works down in my shop. Um, we're going to rescue some horses when we get home. She's going to learn how to muck stalls and take care of horses. She's going to learn how to run a farm. And that that's, and once again, that doesn't say, say we are it's going to be the end all be all. She's going to be a perfect child, mm. but she's going to know how to earn a dollar. Like even right now, we went shopping a couple of days ago and she spent $45 of her own money on a backpack that she wanted. I wasn't going to buy a four. My wife was going to buy a four. So she
0: spent $45 of her own money on this backpack. That's fucking right. Seven years old. Yeah. And so I guess that's like an active uh, conversation that you and Alicia had. Because that's a huge fear of ours. I mean, Alicia grew up middle class working, you know,
1: divorced home, lived in an apartment with her mom. And I grew up, you know, lower middle class with my old man. And we knew the value of a dollar. And we both were on our career paths in our early teens. I mean yeah. you know, I knew what I was going to do at 1213 and she knew what she was going to do at 1415. Like wh- how do we not ruin our children due to money and entitlement and fame, you know? And that's that's a slippery slope, but you know, we try to keep our kids around all different kinds of ethnic groups, you know, black, white, everything in between with people that are on her tour and we give her responsibilities and jobs to do and We don't, you know, people may think we live in some big sprawling mansion. We live in a little country house, a little three bedroom country house and just try to kind of keep everything simple. And when we are on the road and things get complicated and we're staying in a suite somewhere and there's lots of people running around working for my wife, we try to explain to her that, look, this is work, Mm. you know, even though. Mommy's being pink right now, or if you know, Papa's at an event and everyone's wanting his autograph, this is work. This isn't our life, this is our job. Mm-hmm. And when we get done doing our job, we go back to being Mama and Papa, and we go back to being Carrie and Alicia. So don't confuse job
0: for who you are. Yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a, uh, a weird thing for a kid, but then in a sense, when it's all you know as a kid, then it just becomes normal. And it's like, you see that, like I just had Mark Hunt on the podcast, Mm. you know, the fighter. Yeah. And he was a victim of a very rough, abusive uh, household in New Zealand. And like he said, he was like, man, it wasn't until I was a fucking adult that I even knew that that wasn't normal. Yeah. So it's like, kids are super malleable in, in that respect, right? Totally,
1: Yeah. And that's why we're just trying to do the best that we can now because shit dude in another three four years when she's 10 12 13 it's out of our hands you know yeah. we we will have done we will have given her the tools and she's in a shape the rest of her life at that point you know so we're just trying to give her all the best tools to where she can go out and make the best decisions you know and and fuck i don't know i mean who knows maybe I mean, my wife always laugh like maybe we're maybe we're wrecking hey, maybe them. maybe we're ruining them. <laughs> them yeah i know maybe we're ruining them who fucking knows but you know what uh, at least they're going to try to know the value of a dollar and you know they have good manners and they look people in the eye when they're talking to them and
0: they have a good moral compass when when you and alicia first got together did you just, like get to date in the traditional sense of the word or like cuz you were probably a bit more famous than her at this point and it's like uh, did you just have like ever have like what you would feel like would be a normal relationship i mean normal for us definitely yeah, okay.
1: because you know what it, for me personally it was it was the most normal relationship i've ever been in because
0: she was at a similar level. Yeah.
1: Well, she, she, she could understand that I had to go on tour. I could understand that she had to go on tour, you know, like I've, I've, I've had very damaged relationships in my life because I was who I was and I would date cocktail waitresses or whatever in Las Vegas and (laughs) it didn't go well. Yeah. 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 You know, but, uh, I would say we did, I mean, we, you know, when we would date, we would, I would fly in and see her in New York if she was there for a few days or I would mm. jump on tour or she would come on boom, boom tour for a couple of days or come to X games. And I would say we did in a pretty normal sense of the word. And, and I think it was a good thing. And we didn't rush in anything. I mean, like I said, we've been together sev- 17, mm-hmm. 17 years, you know, I mean, we only, we've only been not only, but we've been married 10. So we dated for seven years, yeah. you know, we, we took our time through the whole thing. And, uh, I would say in the in the traditional sense, yeah, we had a pretty normal dating relationship. It's yeah. just it wasn't Applebee's. It was you know <laughs> chasing her on tour or her coming on my tour for a little bit.
0: Yeah, was it weird to like watch what happened? I guess from like side stage of her because when did yous meet? Like, was it would it be in the Destiny's Child film clip? No, sure.
1: No, we... I mean, we I'm met, definitely not up with the tabloids. Yeah, no, no, stuff, oh, just yeah, totally fine. We met right when her big break... Her her biggest first breakout album, which had that song, Get the Party Started. Oh, okay. That we met bef- right before that album came out. So, we met, like, weeks before she really exploded. No shit. But there was... Even though, like, with music, there is a popularity standpoint, but then there's a long building process to yeah. making a living at it, so... Yeah, that's when we got together, and she had a little apartment in Venice Beach, and I had a pretty legit pad in Vegas, and I remember <laughs> the first time she came to see me in Vegas, and, you know, she's from Philly, you yeah. know, she's, Philly's a pretty rough town if you don't know any better, but uh, yeah. it was funny, like, she tells a story once in a while, you know, she 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 flew into Vegas to come hang out with me for a couple of days, I was, I was home, I happened to be home for a few days, so she came out. And I picked her up, and you know, I had a big old left lifted F 350, you know, brand new bitch and pickup this truck. Fuck. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, just 909 as they come. And uh, uh, you know, I pick her up, and she she's like, whose car is this? I'm like, and I'm looking, at her, I'm like, it's it's mine. Uh, you, you kidding? Because it's funny because keep in mind where she was from. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is mine. She's like, oh, oh, okay. And then we get to my house, you know, we drive out and get to my house, and you know, I had a pretty nice house at the time, and she's like, Whose house is this? Is this is your parents' house. I'm like, no, this is my house. <laughs> and it was funny. And like, she, you know, she retells that story. She's like, I'd never met anyone that owned a their own car before you, yeah, let alone, or yeah. like in a, in a in a dating relationship, let alone own their own house and a successful career and their own money. And it's like, yeah, you know. But then, but then, like I said, as we grew up together, yeah, obviously it shifted. But I think one of the great shifts in that and. Look, I'm not saying had this not happened, I would have turned into a pile of shit. But through, like you know, getting into oh three, oh four, oh five, where you know I'm still kind of the bee's knees in my world. But then I go to a red carpet for, like, you know, the Grammys. It was, a, like, humbling or And almost. people are like, like, who the fuck oh, is that Oh, hey, like? uh, yeah. tattooed guy, can we just get a solo picture of her? Or, <laughs> hey, Corey, Corey. And it's like, eh, no, it's Carrie. You know, it's like, it, it definitely, it's, it's a it's an ego check. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, I could be a big fish in a little pond of motocross, but, dude, I'm just the tattooed arm candy at the Grammys or, you know, at any of the big, you know, VMAs.
0: Dude, that's And a, that was rad. A, that would have been a trip.
1: It was. It was rad. Like, it was super humbling, and... You know, I, I have this term that my buddy Big B gave me. It's like stay in your lane, you know, like I know what my lane my lane is. I don't take advantage of my lane, um appreciative of my lane, and I don't try to step into someone else's lane, you know. And it's it was a very cool experience, I would say, through my life being able to and be able to be proud of my partner yeah. and her accomplishments and be support. I mean, even now. You know, like I love being on tour. A because of my, I get to spend amazing amounts of time with my two kids. But I get to support my wife, who is a fucking rock star who kicks ass. Yeah, I mean that's pretty fucking rock and roll in my book. You know.
0: Yeah, and it's it's definitely crazy to. It would have been crazy to just like watch something explode, and like you you would have seen X Games and all that. Like that exploded in that way. But, yeah. But we're talking like everybody in the world knowing who oh, you're talking mainstream yeah, like media pop. Yeah. And we pop culture. Yeah. We've always been fringe culture. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I guess just to see, I didn't really think about that perspective of like, yeah. Ken Roxon is never going to be on the cover of Vogue. exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So to see that, like coming from this world and I guess to experience the level of fame that you like, cause to me growing up, like the idea of meeting Kerry Hart as a kid to me would have been like fucking balls just this crazy thing but then it's like then there's this whole different level yeah and to sort of be there and because everyone does have their story and i guess it's like we said at the start of the podcast is like when you when you're kind of in it you don't really i guess like realize that there's a backstory it's like the kerry hart that's sitting in front of me right now not a lot of people identify with the Kerry Hart that was working that shit job with his uncle. Like, everyone yeah. has that story. Oh, exactly. And for you to be able to see the backstory and then to, like, see today, like, you've got the full scope yeah. of what went down. And it's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing to, yeah. to really see.
1: Yeah, everyone's sitting here listening to me. They think it's, you know, all rocks are life. And literally, they know I had kid's shit on my hand two hours ago and I'm in a hotel room and changed my kid's diapers while my wife's sleeping. <laughs> you know, what's both sides.
0: <laughs> what's, uh, what's little Jamer like? Is he going to be a terror? He's fucking loose. The kid is loose. I he's, just, I need you to have a kid that's out of fucking control. He is fucking loose. That's good. Well, for
1: one, he's huge. I mean, he's, he's 20 months old now. So, you know, just under two years old. So like that's small he, program like any. Yeah. And he wears three year old clothes. He's a fucking huge kid. And he's just hellfire, loves dirt bikes, loves anything with a motor in it. Just every time my helmet's laying around, it's on his head or he's screaming his fucking head off to put it back on. He's
0: going to be a loose kid. So you'll be taking him to Loretta, Loretta Lynn's at some point. I sure hope not. Dude, it's, it's heavy. Like where, I don't want to do that. Dude, my girlfriend, like we, we went up to Cairns and one of my friends has a, a farm and he's got like quads and his kids got 80s. He's got a track in his backyard. Like we always go ride there. And then my chick's like, Oh, oh, I want to ride. So I was like, okay, cool. Get on this little quad and you can ride around. Yeah. And then so she did really good. And then she's like, Oh, can I ride the fifty? And I was like, All right, go ride the fifty. Then she's like, Can I ride your bike? I'm like, fuck <laughs> no. Fuck no. <laughs> I don't and, and it's not even like she couldn't do it. She probably could do it. But I've had the broken ankles. Oh, I've yeah. had the broken fucking yeah. arms. I've had the concussions. Yeah. I've had all that shit, and I don't want anybody that I love, yeah, to go to through feel it. that shit. Yeah, and I mean, I'm worried that my kids one day, when I have kids, will want to do that, and I'm like, dude, just let's go let's go play golf and stuff. Yeah,
1: you know, I'm I'm in that same thought. You know, I I, I got my you've daughter seen some shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've broken friends um, die too. Um, yeah, my my brother got killed racing motocross. You know, mm-hmm. and. I've broken high 80s Dude, bones. Dude, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, my brother got killed racing. That's fucking heavy. And, you know, with my kids, like, I want them to ride. I want them to be exposed to the culture of it. I'm going to take them to supercrosses. But am I going to be pushing my kid to go do local races and eventually go down my, my path? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather see them, like my daughter, race in BMX or get them golf clubs or go fucking surfing or go to fucking college, you know, go to, go to a fucking trade school, you yeah. know, go be a fucking fabricator. You know, like I, there, I want my kids to do anything on the planet they want to do. I'm just not going to push them down the yeah, path yeah. of no motocross and no singing. Those are, those are the two. Oh, I'm even not singing. Gonna, it's gnarly. It's
0: a vicious yeah, fucking I yeah, industry. I don't, know if, I don't know if I could get down with that shit. Cause yeah. it's like, it's so subjective, man. Like you're putting yourself out there to be like, I mean, I've fucking done it. New Lord song comes on. I'm a Lord fan. I'm like, yeah. it's fucking shit. Yeah. It's like, what <laughs> oh, yeah, hit the brakes man like yeah. is this shit it's or brutal. do you just not like it right now yeah and you're opening yourself up to like this crazy judgment every Fuck, single yeah. day from oh, every brutal and i mean i'm sure even with how successful alicia is like every time an album comes out it's like oh it's, it's that same process i'll do it's every fucking night like on twitter seeing
1: people's comments from the show that night or finding you know digging into the local newspaper seeing what the reviews on the show was the night before it's brutal yeah it's hard to she's fucking 20 years in still 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 (laughs) still still checking the line seeing what's happening um when did
0: you get into muay thai
1: i actually got into it um i got hurt on tony's tour on tony hawk's tour in 2003 and uh 2004 i my buddy kit cope who's a mma fighter and uh he got me into it as just a way cause I was, I was so fucking thrashed that I couldn't do much. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really ride. I couldn't do like hard impact sports. Yeah. So me and him just started doing pad work and it was fucking awesome. And, and I just fell in love with it. And I've been not consistently, but for the most part I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. And, and I absolutely love
0: it. Do you do sparring and shit I as do. well?
1: Yeah. I was just with uh, Andre down in uh, Melbourne yeah, uh, they call him the Andre the Giant. He's yeah, a yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. big monster. He was kicking the shit out of me a couple of weeks ago, dude. And no uh, my in the past, my buddy uh, Jamie Tony, he he's a uh, like a Bellator fighter back in America. Mm. He came on the entire last tour with us, and we would spar and beat the fuck out of each other every day. It so that's awesome. on your rider is I to love have it.
0: like a Muay Thai partner, if I can.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. if not, um, you know, like like I'm doing right now, like I would have loved to go on to Parr's gym. Uh, but I just try we'll to pop in. Yeah. Time. I just try to kinda of pop in and I'm not trying to be a tough guy, I'm just trying to get a workout and mm. get punched a little bit. And it's you know, you know how it is, it's good for the soul. Dude, I was just in Thailand and I went to Tiger. Have you oh, have you dude, been there? I follow him. That so Kit was the first American to go over and spend time with Tiger and was the first American to win over there No that's the dude that got me into it yeah yeah, Master Toddy was one of the main guys there and anyways dude go to fucking Thailand and go to. to
0: Tiger Muay Thai
1: I've already told my wife there's two things I'm gonna do when the kids are a little bit older I'm gonna go spend a month at Tiger and I'm gonna go to Peru and do ayahuasca Oh, okay. Those are the two, those are the two things I'm going to do before I'm too
0: old. Yeah. What? So it's, uh, it's funny. So I just had a guy, uh, Stuart Cooper on the podcast Uh and he had a Valium addiction. So he's a filmmaker in Uh jujitsu. And, uh, so he was like, it was cool because he was kind of like the, not the me or of jujitsu, but we just followed a very similar parallel. Young dudes started right about the same time. Mm -hmm. And our ticket to stay in the sport that we loved was to film, as opposed to compete, yeah. So it was this really cool parallel, and I said to him, I was like, "Dude, did you get like a lot of fatigue from the flying?" And because uh, have you heard of like the altitude sickness oh, that yeah. can give you like the chronic fatigue? Yeah, totally. So anyway, he got that right, mm-hmm. and he was in all these different time zones, going to all these different fights. So he started taking Valium on Ooh. planes, and then when he landed, so that he could go to sleep, yep, and uh, got hooked. Yeah. Anyway, so he he was taking like one of these for two years. And then he'd come to Melbourne and he knew... Because he was just buying the diazepam from... You can fucking buy whatever you want in Thailand. It's crazy. crazy. Just like over-the-counter shit. Yeah. Um, so he's like, oh, I better not take him into Melbourne because I'll... Like, I don't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he gets off the plane and then has like these lightning flash headaches, fucking extreme anxiety, can't sleep. Like... Then he starts Googling, like, withdrawal symptoms from Valium. He didn't Mm. even know that you could get hooked on that shit. Oh, fuck, yeah. Anyway, he fucking goes back to the UK, detoxes from Valium, ends up in, like, this crazy depression. Goes to Spain to do ayahuasca. Uh Uh-huh. One fucking... He did two nights in a row. Yep. Cured. Yeah. Completely cured oh, yeah. his depression. So it's like... There's some gnarly shit with that stuff. Dude. I mean, you, from what I hear, you you face some fucking demons through the process well, of that's, it. That's what I was going to say. that's like, why you come out. Yeah, what, what's your reason for wanting to do it? Because I've... I want to do it and I will do it at some point, mm-hmm. but I feel like I've gone through a lot of shit with myself, like the self-audit process yeah. over the years, especially living in america by yourself as a young person Mm -hmm. like i went through a lot of shit yeah because i gave up my family and i gave up everything and i was always broke and always on that hustle then i was doing the tour so i feel like i went through this like really brutal couple of years of like really seeing all my flaws and shit like that yeah to where now i'm like i feel pretty good yeah so i'm like I feel like if I go to do ayahuasca, it would be
1: (laughs) set you back.
0: (laughs) Well, like, but I just don't, I feel like they, like people say that the medicine gives you what you need, but at the moment I don't feel like I need anything. Like I'm pretty happy and content. Mm -hmm. I want to keep kind of going on the path I'm on, Mm -hmm. but it's like, what's your reasoning for wanting to do it? Um, I'm sure there'd be stuff with like your brother and things like that. You know what? I think, yeah, I think there's like stuff with my brother, you know, my
1: family, um, I mean, really the thing is for me is like, I, I, I hope this <laughs> is going to freak people out, but I, I'm the, I, I enjoy going and doing mushrooms. Yeah. I enjoy, like I don't smoke pot or I don't do any kind of like gnarly, gnarly chemical drugs, but I enjoy expanding my mind. I, I've done DMT. Oh, I've, no shit. Yeah. Like I, I like just, I, I feel like sometimes when I'm the most out of control, I'm the most alive. Yeah. And I, and I think maybe that comes from my life and my very intense extreme lifestyle yeah. and to get those certain shocks to my system i think it's healthy yeah. now i'm not saying that i i would chase that down cocaine or booze but like but i said they're I mean, not the same thing, no exactly like but that but that's why i want to i want to yeah. make a clear yeah. you know line between the
0: two like there's a I, different thing between like like i was saying this to like i got a friend that got a friend that likes doing coke mm-hmm. and he likes doing coke He's not a cokehead by yeah. any means. Yeah, but, but he likes long doing long times. It because he's in control. And it gives him that feeling of like partying and it's it's like an accelerant. It's like yeah. pouring fuel on a fire, totally. really. Yeah. But you're still you, you're still making all this I mean, fuck, you probably make some worse decisions. But somewhat, yeah. But they're decisions that are at least coming from like down and you've got some yeah. control. But when you do like mushrooms or even like fucking go deep on edibles, yeah. and you're not in control anymore. Oh, like it's you're, intense but there's certain, like I actually enjoy that feeling of then just letting go and going okay, show me what I need to see. Take me where I need to go. And I mean, I've even spoke about on the podcast, like I had an edible experience on a plane once. Oh, that's no fun. And I was just like, I was fucking trapped. And I felt, I, I would remember sitting on the plane and just being like, all right, you're going to come out of this. Yeah. You need to talk yourself down. Yeah. This is like, it's like, it was like a marathon. Like, yep. you know, when you finish like some kind of brutal activity mm-hmm. and then you feel better for it. Yeah. Because you're like, I pushed through. Yeah. That's what this gives me. But I feel like, so you're and enjoying I the same thing. And I
1: think that's it too, is because I have to be in such, I think I've just been in such control, so to say of my yeah. life. It is kind of nice just to fucking roll the dice and see what happens, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it's also a very positive way. You know, it's like, you kind of face some of your demons, you know, and and like I said earlier, you know, I don't have a problem talking about it. I don't have intense depressions, but I have bouts of it and anxiety. And I know, like, when I eat mushrooms, I'll have the fucking like I just ate mushrooms a couple of weeks ago, and I had the time of my life with a couple of buddies that I really trust, and we laughed our faces off. And for the next couple of weeks, the 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 scientific residuals due to mushrooms. Chills out anxieties, chills out stress, mm. chills out depression. And I even have a friend of mine that, uh, that, uh, which I'm going to do when my children are much older, but a buddy of mine did a two week microdose on yeah, mushrooms. Okay. You know, it's just these little capsules and it's all measured out and he did it with a doctor, but he microdosed for two weeks and he told me about like, you know, what, what he got out of that from mental and creative standpoint. You know, he's a, he's a bike builder and a bike designer and the, his, you know, his, his creative flow was going. And I think there's a lot yeah. of. There's a lot of good, you know, like, and that's actually <clears throat> one thing that kind of trips me out about not to beat up on Australia, but like, oh, don't like even get me fucking started. Like, do like this, the fact it's that so you can't get like CBD oil over, over here all. and like the, the, the positive effects of like, I think there's, I think there's going to be a lot of really positive things over the next generation of ayahuasca and, and mushrooms. And I mean, you're already seen in America with THC and all that stuff of like all these natural holistic Remedies for things, yeah, and and I, I I like that aspect of it. I mean, yeah, would it be easy to pop a Xanax every morning and go along my happy way and not be depressed at all? Sure, but do I want to be a medicated? Fix. Exactly. Do I want to yeah. be medicated? Do I want to deal with the effects of coming off that shit? I don't. I don't even take Advil. I don't even take ibuprofen. I'm the same, man. yeah. I either take DMT or tea or any sort of holistic remedy, what vitamins, your, and training.
0: What was your experience with DMT? I haven't gone down that road yet. It was uh
1: it's it's really my experience with did you, only,
0: did you do like the full breakthrough like oh yeah you were fucking gone oh yeah because okay. yeah. I, I know some people that i spoke to they're like oh i was like this and i was like ah, oh, i don't think you really did it then man you know what I mean? i did because the full
1: breakthrough where it felt like there was an elephant sitting on your shoulders and your vision is completely fucking bonkers and you just get this intense kind of pressure on your system, on your body. And the, the thing that was nice about it is it's, it only works for about 15 minutes Yeah, and, and all you're coming back. And all's it does is it's just your body naturally has it in you and you know, all the, yeah. the, the background on it. So it just kind of takes you to a place where, you know, I, I have a couple of friends that have done it, who have seen some pretty dark shit. And I think it kind of touches on the whole ayahuasca thing. Like you mm. get out of it really what you want, what, what you, you need, yeah, what you need or what you're intended to. Um, and for me, it was just a really pretty bitching visual, um, stress relieving kind of like happy spot as weird as that might sound. And it's, and it, it lasts, it's a really short period of time, but the, did you
0: come away with it? Learning something?
1: I did. did you... Yeah. Like just, just like, I, when I did it, I kind of came away with almost like having a third lung, like, Oh, okay. Like I can take a few deep breaths okay. and I can like my experience with it. Is it, it, as it went away, my stress kind of went away with it and hmm. my anxiety kind of went away with it. And I just kind of walked away. But the, the, you know, you know, seeing the sun as opposed to the clouds, you know, just, you know, little subtleties like that. It wasn't like really, really intense, but that's also why I want to go do the ayahuasca yeah. path. Cause I, I, I kind of want a really intense experience. Yeah. I'm and maybe I don't, you know, but as I sit but here I now, that, I want to,
0: <laughs> and, and you know, well, like even Stuart Cooper said that, um, so he was in this crazy depression, right? And then he said that all he got, like there were people in the room that were like having fucking horrific experiences yeah. and now throwing up and yep. shitting at the same time, like really. Uh, it's really intense experiences. But then even like I've spoken to people that have done like the purging and the shitting. And they've even said like, that felt like all of my baggage. Like they were just stoked as they were throwing up. Yeah, So like, it almost seems like, I mean, you've seen people tripping on acid and you're like, Whoa, it's fucking freaks you out. But then they come good and they're like, Oh my God, I feel so much better now. So it's like, uh, we have this perception in sobriety of or even when someone's drunk and you're like you're like fuck i'm just not on his level yeah but when you're on their level you're like you're having the time of your life fucking rules (laughs) but Stuart said that he had the this crazy overwhelming experience of love like Mm -hmm. he felt love for his family he felt love for his friends and because he was in like a severe depression the it's like ayahuasca showed him what he needed to see like he needed to feel that intense pleasure and happiness and love because that was sucked out of his life Mm -hmm. because of this valium yeah yeah, totally so it's like it's it's fucking it's crazy and man honestly like i don't think you appreciate the impact that people like you uh it makes when people like you talk about this stuff oh
1: it's great to hear because
0: even like man like i know my mum will listen to this she doesn't listen to all of them but Uh. she like with her she's in that very old school mentality and and i was that guy when i moved to america i i had never done a drug in my life yeah i went through all my friends with stoners they were fucking all on ecstasy every weekend like and i said no to all of it because i thought that was the moral Like I had that old school, that's the values that were ingrained. Yeah. But then you start to learn and you open your mind up to stuff. And it's like, you can use things as a tool. You can abuse, like we all know a bad drunk. Oh yeah. We all know a guy that fights when he drinks. Yep. We all know a chick that fucking cries every time she drinks. Like these things are tools that you have to be responsible as a person. Oh, exactly. And there's so much science out there and even like you said the scientific stuff with mushrooms like the syllabon molecule binds to your serotonin receptors Mm -hmm. like identically like they were made to do it yeah and it's like it's just such a crazy time of information and you should definitely do the microdosing stuff because i've done i've done like didn't do it all the way because just i had to go away and like it just didn't kind of work yeah, out it to where work. i could do it but like the the definitely the doses that i did take like i remember driving down the gold coast from here one day and like it was it wasn't like a, a proper mushroom experience yeah. but like everything looked a little bit sharper yeah exactly and i could see like i appreciated like the way the clouds looked and it sounds like mm-hmm. real woo woo <laughs> no, but it's the truth. But i'm like yeah. driving and i'm like man it's fucking crazy like look at these clouds and like i just felt good music felt good and yeah. I got some work smell, things smell a little better yeah. yeah and I think that it's good to put yourself in those head spaces because you take that's the thing with these um, it's the same with alcohol like you ever got fucked up on tequila you take something out of that shit oh yeah you don't want to drink tequila again you <laughs> yeah, take exactly. that smell of tequila <laughs> yeah and you fucking throw that bottle as far away from yourself yeah. as you can but it's like I think one of the curses of humanity is you're given one perspective yeah and if you, there's, there's a few things in life that I think can open up your perspective and there's, that's travel and then hallucinogens or, or, uh, substances that change your perspective. Mm-hmm cause you, you'd know people they're one issue voters that have never left. Oh yeah. They're fucking downtown, yeah. And it's like, that's, they're locked into that perspe- perspective Yeah. And it's a fucking curse, man.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, some of the, the biggest, you know, life lessons I've taken away have been through where motocross has taken me. You know, I remember one of my first like big, big kind of intense trips for me was, uh, back when we we're filming Cressy went to Brazil. You know, I was 23 years old, I guess was 20, yeah, 23 years old. And, we did two weeks in Brazil filming for crusty. And, you know, we were five American dudes, you know, money in our pocket and nice motorcycles. And do, we went through the barrios of Rio and Sao Paulo and all along the Amazon river. And it's like, I, I've, I saw a group of uh, a whole country of people that lived well below the poverty line that were happy and had dirt floors and didn't have indoor plumbing, but it was a very intense experience for me. And it was like, when I came home from that tour, I was like, wow, like, I'm going to appreciate everything I have a little Did bit that, fucking that more. That stayed
0: with you for a while. Oh, for
1: a long time. Yeah, I mean, even even after that, like I've I've gone back to Brazil since then, and I actually used to go do a lot of writing in like Costa Rica, yeah, Puerto Rico, and you know, it's it's a different world. I mean, you deal with third world countries; it's a different, you know, it's a different different world.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Like I remember we went. I actually went with RC to Costa Rica, mm-hmm. and I, I know I was supposed to go on that trip. Were you supposed to? I was. Fuck, you should have come on that trip, dude. We. We run up a fucking tab, son. <laughs> 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 oh man, yeah. dude! Between like Ricky and JH, uh-huh. like we got. F- Fucking blind at hard rock. And that dude, Ricky's guilty of that in a way. Like he he's not he wasn't it. like I was eating cow tongue and testicles and oh, all this like super weird shit. Uh-huh. And he was like, let's go to fuck let's find a Hooters. Let's yeah, find exactly. a hard rock. I want and some I'm Daytona like, wings. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, bro, yeah, where it goes to rica Oh, but for sure. Fuck man. We we had some laughs, dude. Oh, J, yeah. him and J H together. Oh, they, they rule. That, that's two of maybe the funniest people uh-huh. that you could ever beer and I'm a guy that I love to talk mm-hmm. but when I'm around those two I just fucking kick back I crack a couple oh, beers a and you just enjoy the show that was the, the the me and Ricky's history with the race team
1: I mean the racing was secondary the best part was just Dude. me and him hanging out as much as we, we did you know like getting able to
0: spend that much time together god we had some fucking good times he's one of the like I've met some dudes where I was like through filming, like I've pretty much met everyone, yeah. And I've filmed with everyone, I've hung out with everyone. There are some guys that I left going, Fuck, you suck, <laughs> right? And then, then automatically, I've got like the pictures on my wall, and I'm like visualizing my room as a kid, mm-hmm. and I've got like a Garth Milan photo uh-huh. of said rider yeah. And in my mind, I'm you just like, tear <laughs> it down, just exactly. scrunching it up, Yep, Ricky is the guy that exceeds your expectations. Like yeah. as much as I worship that motherfucker when I was a kid, mm-hmm. no picture on my wall could have done that dude justice oh, yeah. for just how cool he is. Oh, totally. No,
1: he is all time. And that's, you know, getting back to the conversation earlier today. And you know, it's like, that's the unfortunate part about motocross nowadays. Like in the Strips last that away. Yeah. It just, it sucks all that away. I mean, I, I'm only learning recently. Like I said, I, I've, I've known Villa Poto for a long time but it's only villopodo at the at the racetrack i yep. never knew Villa Poto, you know
0: that's beer bonging and you know having a good time dude talk about like the whole cyclical thing of like shit coming back and like riding the wrongs we're back on two strokes and we're back racing dirt track mm-hmm. no shit does that shit excite you or what fuck yeah
1: i i i've I stand by it and it's archaic, but I think they need to go. You want to fix motocross, go back to two strokes and spec stock bikes. Yeah. You can only do suspension and pipe and silencer. That's going to recalibrate everything. And same thing with all of us. Like you see everybody doing like this full swing back, like coming back to two strokes, coming back to flat track again. Yeah. Like it's, everyone's trying to just go back to what it used to be.
0: Yeah, for sure. Dude, if you could like, I think, and you could probably speak to this better than anybody that I've spoken to in the past if, if Feld could do one thing to fix the industry, one thing, keep teams around, would be let teams sell merch.
1: I think there's a laundry list of things Feld could do. They, will ne- they never will do it, but uh, I think merch is a piece of it. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of pieces to it. Um, I don't think there's one end-all be-all because... There's a slippery slope with that. Like, I, I've been in that business before, merch. Yeah. And, you know, and I've even talked with uh, Koi from JGR about it. And it's like, okay, you roll the dice, you get a truck, a trailer, a couple hundred grand with a product printed in the back of your truck, driver, fuel, hotels, and you go out after the Supercross series. And it's like the bands, like, got the yeah. most bitching t-shirt on the planet and we're going to fucking rule it and you show up and you sell five t-shirts dude i don't know though man because i know like with I the agree.
0: bands like well i mean you'd know with alicia's shit but i i did a documentary with a warp tour band yeah. right they were making fucking bank. truth like keeping them afloat was merch Agreed. and and i know that if you could do especially like you had Hart and huntington you had uh Fucking the Merrill brothers that were like could have pumped out the best oh, merch. Yeah. Like, you well, I mean, you guys did have good merch anyway, yeah. but it's like to to be able to sell that, like, that would be enough. To, I, th- I think to pay you're right for a lot of people, like, to at least help keep the doors open. I definitely think you're right. Um, I mean, if we want to go
1: down this rabbit hole, I just think it, I th- and I'm not bitter or I salty. I'm not about out to this. save the sport either. Yeah, but no, no, but. I'm not bitter nor salty. I'm just speaking from my experience. Uh, it's a broken model over there. Yeah, and
0: what's a monopoly?
1: Yeah, and it'll keep it'll keep tinkering along, and it will keep doing its thing, but it's never going to be great.
0: Well, I think that the problem is right is that Supercross. I don't think the average person realizes that Feld is a behemoth. Oh yeah, they're a and, monster, and Supercross is a drop in their bucket. And I think that anytime you're the afterthought in somebody's business model. Like, you're not going to get the best shit. Well, but the other thing is, too, is in, in Feld's portfolio,
1: the only thing that they don't own 100% of, meaning like you look at Monster Truck, they own all the trucks, all the drivers, everything. Yeah. The only thing they don't own 100% of is Supercross. No shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Disney, on ice, Disney on ice and all, all, all that theatrical crap and Monster Trucks. They own every truck out there. They own the licensing. They own everything. They pay all the drivers to show up and drive. That's why they destroy the trucks every race. The one thing that they don't own 100 percent of is Supercross. Huh. You know, and they don't understand like paying teams and paying better purse. Like it's it's a broken model. It's yeah. a completely. I, I've I've had conversations with those guys till I'm blue in the face. I mean, they've sent limos for me when i was in chicago with my wife to come to the corporate office and paraded me around the corporate office and we sat in a room together and i gave them all my input and it was and just all uh, it was yep yeah. i mean as far as i'm concerned because they didn't take a single shred of any of it i mean even something as so simple as how to make the tv package better i mean it was it was a smoke show as far as i was concerned
0: yeah it's fuck it's a shame man because i mean for us like that's our thing right like that's the thing that we're all super into like at your core, you're a racer. Yeah. And I think that it's just like, once it's in you, like it it really just doesn't go away, does it? It doesn't. And it shouldn't have to, you
1: know? And unfortunately, I oh don't know. It's unfortunately over, over the years, whether it's been clear channel or, you know, AMA, like they just seem to suck the fucking life out of it. You know, like they can't just, uh, you know, greed is a hell of a thing, you know? Yeah. And it's like, like, I've always made the argument with them. And once again, this isn't the end-all be-all, but look at from a very simplistic standpoint. To make it a little bit easier on the teams, you're trying to tell me you can't bump up the ticket price by two bucks per seat? Yeah. Two dollars. You're trying to tell me that family isn't going to spend... Forty-two dollars for a seat. They only spend forty bucks for a seat, and have that two dollars per seat go back to the purse. So that way, mm. I don't have to pay Ken Roxon two million a year. I can pay him a million five, and he know he'll have a nice big. You know, he, he know he'll. I had to pay Ken Roxon a hundred thousand dollars for every Supercross win. Not felt mm. I did. If I could have wiped that away, and not have that overhead costs, or not have to pay that insurance policy to guarantee that hundred k, and that hundred k came from the promoter. It would have made life a lot easier on my program, as mm. well as KTM, Kawasaki, Honda, Husky, all the rest of them. We're all paying the same insurance policies. We're all paying the same bonuses. I mean, it's just little things like that, but it's, it's a, yeah. like I said, I don't mean to sound salty about it, but unfortunately, well, I mean, it's, it's a broken it's, model.
0: But it's good to hear it from a guy like you. Like, there's not a lot of times where someone that's been there, seen it all, put his own money on the line, had won championships. Like, like it's not like, It's not like you're a guy that's coming in and going like, Whoa, well, we fucking had a crack, and it's like, oh, he's salty. They never won anything. Well, yeah. that's what. Like, you did win everything. Yeah, you yeah, did, we did you, it. You won. You won races. You won championships. Like, you had stripper poles. At yeah. What you know what I mean? We've like, been on every spectrum you, of it. Yeah, you've 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 seen the gamut. So mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, I don't know if it's salty. Like, I think a lot of people agree with what you're saying. Yeah. But I, it's like a, not a lot of people. I mean, I was pretty deep in it. I didn't know half the stuff that you just said.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I I think it's just. I've always like I've always said, and maybe it's not the answer. I've always said, I think almost like the France family needs to buy Supercross like that does NASCAR, you know, like because, you know, at least with NASCAR, there's money paid back to the teams. And this isn't about the. I don't want to get into a conversation about, oh, who should get the money, the riders or the teams. But there's no other sports that I know of racing sports out there that I know of that. The team has to go out and race every single dollar. And when the first race starts, there's no opportunity to recoup any money along the way. Mm. And think about that. That's how it is with motocross. You have to make a dollar to spend a dollar. Okay, you once the season's off and running, there's no chances of a championship bonus for a race team or just like with NASCAR. Like, you know, a car makes the main event. Like, I don't know how many people in Australia follow NASCAR. You'll see some cars do the start and run like five or six laps and they'll pull off and load up the truck and head to the next race because they got start money the team got start money and the driver got start money i didn't know that. that's how that's how any form like formula one like that's how they all work you know supercrosses that i know of is the only one or one of the few ones or probably the only one at that level there's no money that comes back do you know that a, a pro to win anaheim one feld pays the winner twenty five thousand dollars I mean, that's the same person that McGrath got in the 90s. It hasn't yeah. changed. You know, that's, and that's what we're getting at. It's just, and once again, I'm not beating up on Feld. Once again, from their seat, it's a business, and they have to run it on a and l and I understand that. But from a purist and a, and a fan and being on both sides of the fence, I think there's a lot of things they could change to make it better for everybody. But I also think it will never happen because you have these dinosaurs that are running the manufacturers, and you have these dudes that have been in their seats way too long through the clear channel and all the transitions of all of it. They all think their shit don't stink and it's just going to be, it's going to take 20 years for a new batch of people to get brought in. But I don't think the sport will be around in 20 years. I hope it is. I really do, but
0: I don't have a lot of hope that it will be. And, but man, like that's where you see like Red Bull straight rhythm, Mm -hmm. like fuck people have to get behind that event. Totally. Like that's, the what Jeremy's doing with that whole thing with like two strokes only yeah like fucking stank dog won yeah he beat Villa poto yeah and it's like it's so cool to have an event like that 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 is looking after the riders. like Jeremy's paying these dudes to yeah. to go well Red Bull and they put production people, value they, in it exactly and and the, and the way they shoot it in the TV
1: package every person is seen therefore those logos get seen therefore those sponsors are happy Yeah. True story. I sat with Feld at this meeting and, you know, they were like, we want to get your opinion. How can we make it better? Blah, 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 blah. I said, tell you what, the heart of motocross is two stroke. And there are mm. a million guys out there like myself as, as a teenager or Ricky Carmichael as a teenager that never in today's world would have made it to where we were. Ricky couldn't afford to as he, as he was a kid and I couldn't why don't get rid of the stupid fucking hot or the, the loading the hay bales in the back of the pickup truck for that fucking 15 minutes. I said, do a West coast and an East coast, non-factory, non-supported privateer two stroke main event. I said, you can run their qualifying and practice in a 10 minute window during the day. They get a 10 lap race, do a East coast and a West coast, just like lights. I will give up a ride. Whoever wins the series, I will give them a ride next year. On the 450. God, that's sick. Mechanic, bike, whole deal. I will give them a ride. Because I know, selfishly enough, I know I'm going to get a lot of press out of that. But I will spend the money. I'll spend the couple hundred grand that it'll take to take that person racing. I do that. there wasn't even a second conversation about it. Because you know what's more important? Throwing those stupid fucking hay bales in the back of that Toyota to that truck Toyota money, to get that fucking Toyota money.
0: Which was probably, in a roundabout way, some kind of like freebie that they threw out to sweeten a yeah. deal in like Monster Truck or you know what I mean like, I mean whatever because you know, it's all like kind yeah, of linked but in. like do
1: they want to reinvest into the sport, the sport do yeah. they want to conserve the sport or they just wanna
0: or the want to suck the life out of it want that quick Toyota check exactly but dude you know what's crazy like straight rhythm last year you had Ronnie Mac and Stank Dog in the final mm-hmm. and when that final was over I can't remember who was in the 450 final. It was Marvin and someone, mm-hmm. right? Marvin's one of the premier riders. Yeah. The stands fucking emptied. I bet. After Ron, and I was filming it, and I'm tripping out. Yeah. I was tripping out that people were leaving the stands as one of the best 450 riders on the planet is sitting on the gate. Yeah. Why? Because they were f- they were pumped. Yeah. They got to see, like, that, that stank dog... And Ronnie Mac final was like it was great, amazing. And then you've got they took full advantage of Ronnie when Ronnie's like, "Well, I figured out a sixty-nine percent chance," and it's like live TV, and he comes up with that. Why do they like it so
1: much? Because they're showing a personality. Personality. It's not about what he's doing on the track. Yeah, they're showing the personality, and people love two strokes.
0: Yeah, it's it's back, and now this year Red Bull Straight Rhythm is all two strokes. That's awesome, and it's it's genius. People that that ratings of this year's straight rhythm is just going to crush.
1: Yeah. Do you know what the ratings for Supercross are back home? It's a fucking joke. They're barely breaking a million views. That's crazy. I mean, think about it. I have almost as many people on my social media as (laughs) as viewers are on fucking Supercross each year. Yeah. Out of control.
0: And even like when, when I was filming and you guys would have had the same thing, like we can't even make content around it because they sell the rights to Fox. Yeah. And it's like, but, man that's the same everywhere like i filmed for v8 supercars which is like mm-hmm. our nascar yeah. and then they the team that i was filming uh the team triton racing mm-hmm. they their guy got punted fucking cartwheel dude like one of the biggest crashes of the year and i was just doing their shit for social and i couldn't even show the car crap like the team manager watching it crash on tv in the background of the shot no, like, you can't do it. I'm like, what, you're blowing it. Yeah. Like, it's done now. Yeah. Your live TV event is done now. You yeah. want to make this shit live forever? Yeah. Fucking put it, it on Instagram. On exactly. Put it on Instagram. Let people share it. Let people repost. Let this moment live forever. Yeah. It's still at your race. Like, we can't, it can't be on Fox Sports on repeat. No. Once that moment's done, exactly. It's fucking done. But it's dinosaurs that are in that position. Mm and yeah. it's but it's crazy that you just see it in in so many different forms of it's painful to watch and at a certain point it's just like gee are you a part of the problem
1: or are you a part of the process you know no. and and that's just you know that's what came out with me and ricky we just got to a point where it's like you just we a don't part feel, of the machine, yeah. yeah and we don't feel that it will ever be sustainable without either one of us our name on it and it's just like you know we had a good run and Let's go spend time with our kids and do other shit. We drank a ton of beers. Yep, sat in a lot of
0: airports, held some pretty bitching trophies, and stood on the podium and did the damn thing. The back and forth that you guys had with the planes, like, (laughs) (laughs) was just like you two are just idiots.
1: Oh, dude, we we me and him have some good times, man. We we go we go pretty in on each other. It's relentless,
0: dude. Same with same with Twitch. I feel like that that culture of like you guys shit talking each other on social media that's it's pretty amazing It's got but you got to be good friends to do that too or just thick
1: skin yeah but yeah but it's definitely years of being good friends yeah it's it's uh it's a good time i was just with twitch and sturgis and it's funny because he's kind of like the new guy in v-twin so
0: i get to kind of fuck with him a lot too so what's the v-twin stuff is that what's kind of got you the most fired up at the moment
1: yeah for me personally it's uh i it wasn't a planned thing it was just more of a sort of a hobby that has fortunately enough kind of turned into a, another career
0: for me. So explain it to people because I fully don't even get it. So
1: basically, so the short version is it was, it was a bucket list for me. So in America, V twin being, uh, Harley Indian, uh, you know, the, the V twin motorcycle, the, the, cru- the cruiser motorcycle massively popular in America. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a bit popular here and we, we have it's certain rallies. Here. Yeah, it's getting bigger here and what's really popular in America is we have these rallies. You know, you have like Daytona where Supercrosses, Sturgis, you know, there's... Dude, Daytona Black
0: Week is nuts. fucking loose. Yeah, that's
1: been going on for 80 years. Yeah. Sturgis has been going on for, they just celebrated uh, 78 years. So, <sighs> this is a very old cultural thing in America and I've always been a fan of V-Twin motorcycles. I've had a bunch of Harleys and so, long story short, uh, as a bucket list for me, I got invited to be the grand marshal for the 75th Sturgis Rally. No, oh no, which was shit. insane. Like you know, yeah, that's massive. Yeah, it was. I mean, like I said it's it's just, it's more of a bucket list thing. It's like, wow, well, I get to be the grand marshal. So I got to host a bunch of rides and drank for free the whole week, and you know, had to get out of jail free card and hung out with the mayor. Like it was really really cool. And and I had been going to Sturgis for at that point that was like my fifth or sixth year going. And for me, every year is a boys trip. You know, we spend two weeks riding, you know, about 6,000 miles round trip and go on to Sturgis. So, uh, so when I did, so that year going off for the 75th, um, I got a road glide and I did a bunch of, like, I'm a tinker. I work on bikes Mm -hmm. and I just, I can't sit still. I tinker. So uh, I built a bike, nothing crazy, just kind of did my own version of a little custom motorcycle. Rode it at Sturgis that year. A couple magazines photographed it, you know, and got, got some hype out of it, which was super flattering and fun for me then um later that year because of the little bit of buzz about you know me building this bike and being the grand marshal i started getting invites um i got invited for hot bike tour which hot bike tour in america is the biggest since all the tv show crap went away and all that it's the biggest motorcycle custom bike building competition in america and it's hot bike magazine that puts it on so i got a call from my buddy who's the editor um over there and he's like hey how, how serious about this stuff are you and I lied. I was like, "Oh, I'm super into I'm it. I'm, I'm in. fucking. I'm all in." He's like, "Well, do you want to be a builder, invited builder for a hot bike tour?" I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Like <laughs> without even thinking about it. Yeah. Like, all right. Well, you're in. So, I then started. So at this point, it was still kind of early, but I I saw that there was like definitely some excitement about me being a dirt bike rider, kind of jumping the fence, authentically jumping the fence because I enjoy these bikes and yeah, working on myself. Yeah. And so I started putting a lot, a lot, lot more effort at that point. So I spent all year building this bike for that competition bike went on competition. I won two of the stops of the five, which was not expected, but super flattering. And, and it literally just kind of snowballed. So much we talked about earlier in with my motocross, like I kind of had like a long-term vision, you know, like I want, I'd rather be the young guy on back in baggers than the old guy on dirt bikes, you know? Mm. And I feel that there is a lot of future in V twin. and I, I enjoy it. It's a passion of mine and I love working and building bikes. So it got kind of serious for me about three years ago and I've been kind of, I took the torch and run. I've done probably about 15 custom builds, uh, in the last three years. Uh, the bike I did last year, uh, for hot bike, I got invited back for hot bike tour and I actually won the tour last year with a, a sidecar that I built. And then is that that crazy Chrome? Yeah. It looks thing. like a, uh, yeah, a, a yeah. fighter jet. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I built that, uh, that ended up winning the tour and through that i wanted which has been great because like i've been i've been working with dunlop tires for 25 years now and uh so i'm now an ambassador for dunlop on the street side and Mm. i've worked with Bell Ray for 10 years i'm now on the street side so i'm able to keep some of these relationships that i would have aged out at in motocross Mm. i'm able to keep them in v-twin and then now i'm working with corporate indian and And it's
0: not just that that like you can keep getting checks like they're good people like when you oh awesome yeah industry people that you start really working with you get these relationships with like it's sorta sad when they time out. It is. And you you don't get to kinda hang with them in the same way.
1: Exactly. And that's what's great. Like you take Dunlop. You know, I've been I've been riding for Dunlop for twenty five years. I've been riding Dunlop since I was on eighties. And, you know, here I am. I get to continue and now I have an entire new future in V twin working with Dunlop. And that's really what my goal is. Like I love building bikes. I love I love being in my shop with my kids hanging out, me and Big B bickering and throwing wrenches at each other and, and, and creating these motorcycles. I love that part of it. I love hooligan racing. And honestly, I love going to motorcycle rallies, drinking beer, meeting new people, talking about the good old days, doing my charity ride, and just and just enjoying the twilight that is my motocross career. Yeah. So I'm having a great time doing it. And you know I feel like I'm kind of helping Indian sell some bikes and working with the companies I'm working with and just having a great
0: time doing it. Is the bikes that you're building are they for sale like you're actually doing custom jobs for people
1: no uh, you know what I, I did two two cu- I, you know customer builds I did one for Oakley um, that Oakley's taking around America right now That's as cool. a display bike and then I built one for a friend and uh, not that there was any harm in doing them but I, ha- I only build stuff for myself because there's my heart is just not in build something for somebody else yeah I don't want to go down that path I, I really enjoy like for me personally I'll build anywhere from two to four bikes a year um, usually one is my personal riding bike for that, that fiscal current, current riding year. Yeah. And then I'll do one project for Indian or for a tour. Like right now, when I get home, I got three builds I got to do by February. Um, but they're either for myself or for a competition or for Indian or for, for something, but I don't want to do the customer thing. I don't I don't want to do, I don't want to cross that bridge. Like this is one thing I'm, I'm completely notorious from turning a passion into a, into, job. A, into a job and then I eventually hate it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm really trying to kind of uh, tie my hands a little bit and keep this thing super fun. Cause I'm having a great time
0: doing it. And is it just you and big B doing it? Yeah. Or do you have like more people at the shop that you nope. work with? Or? It is me and him, Fuck. literally me and him. And, uh, and it's fun. You know, we, we, He's another guy that you two have some epic, epic shit talks going. Oh god, man, dude, we we've been known friends, each other for a fucking oh, long 20, 20 time. 20 years. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, twenty years.
1: We've been hanging out, and, uh, yeah, he's been either working with me for me, you know, together with
0: me for about fifteen of those. Um, it's it's funny. Like I I feel like the measure of a person is how long do you have your friends for? Yeah. Don't, don't you agree uh, totally like yeah. you see some people and I mean especially in like moto it's like people are running with new clicks every Rotan, day and yeah. it's like just this carousel of like five minute friends yeah and especially when you carry heart and your wife's pink and you've got that you, you're living in that world like there's always people that are like not there's always people but there it's unavoidable that, that you're gonna come across people in your life that are not gonna be there for genuine oh, for sure. reasons right yeah but you're a guy that's had the same friends for, yeah, like 20, 25 yeah. years. And yeah. I think that that says a lot about your friends, but you as well, because it's fucking easy to just keep, keeping oh, around yeah. those people that It'd are going to keep telling you. A,
1: yeah. A bunch of people, fair weather friends that tell me how awesome I am every day and how much I rule and how cool I am. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, who doesn't want to hear that once in a while, but. What's rad is when a buddy that I've been friends with for 20 years says, Dude, you're being a fucking idiot today, or you're being a fucking asshole, or how about pull your head out of your ass? That's way cooler. Yeah. In my book, at least. You know?
0: I definitely think so. And it's got to, like, it just speaks to people's character as well. Yeah. To, you know, kind of be in the world that, that you're in. And I think that if anything, it's like probably a good leveler for you to see where you're at because exactly. it, it'd be easy to kind of well, I mean, yeah, you can, you can do what the fuck you want. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It'd be easy to go down that rabbit hole, but I, I don't know. Like maybe,
1: maybe it's being from Las Vegas of a rotating door of, you know, super sketchy people to come through Vegas tourist town. But I, I appreciate authentic people.
0: Did you get caught in the Vegas trap? At, I never did. The
1: I never did. Um, mainly because, uh, I was so focused on motocross my entire life. I was mm. so focused. I mean, I, I was really, really serious with motocross racing at 10. So my life was motocross from 10 years old until now. So fortunately enough, I stayed clear of it. But I also have a lot of friends that didn't, you know, mm. because the thing is, it's Vegas is a great place if you're into dirt bikes and snowboarding and skating and like being outside and doing rad, super fun shit, mountain biking, whatever. But it is a fucking awful place if you have any sort of vices or you like the booze or the booger sugar or gambling or any of that shit it's it's fucking cancerous
0: yeah well dude even like just i was in thailand and we're at the patong road or oh fuck bangor road i think Mm -hmm. which is the main kind of tourist hub of phuket Uh uh-huh and a dude like I was walking down there the first night. I didn't even go after that cuz I basically I was there in like a 8-day jiu-jitsu camp. Uh-huh. so we trained for 4 hours a day and it was fucking brutal. Yeah. Like it was it was hard. Yeah. And on the last day they pretty much like release the hounds. They take a bus in to Patong and go nuts, boys. Yeah. But I I was like I'm fucking out. But we walked through the first night. There's like ladyboys everywhere. There's fucking hookers everywhere. There's yeah. like dollar like dollar for five fucking shots of alcohol. And I'm just like looking in, and like I've got Bender friends. Yeah. Like I've got friends. You've got Bender oh, yeah, friends for sure. And I'm like, whoa! I can't come here with you. Yeah. This is this is a fucking black hole for you. Oh yeah. That you could not get out of. Yeah. And Vegas is the same.
1: Vegas. Yeah. It's it's got a
0: really dark side to it. You <laughs>
1: know. What I mean, I spent I've spent 32 years there, and I've I've I mean even like through owning my businesses there, like between my tattoo shops and and uh, my nightclub you know, I, I would have to import tattoo artists, you know, and it's like, look, man, here's the deal. Go have fun for fucking 30 days. But after 30 days, tighten your shit up because it will fucking consume you. And I'm not even exaggerating, probably 50 to 60% of the people that I brought in didn't, didn't make the test of time. And they ended up fucking gone 90 days later.
0: Yeah, dude, I've been caught in the Vegas thing. Oh yeah. I've done like the Hey man, not coming to Supercross. Uh I've got some fucking chicks in a hotel room and I'm just not leaving. Yeah. And it's just like it's easy, <laughs> it's fucking easy to oh, do. Dude. I've seen lives ruined, I mean literally ruined in that place. Dude, I remember like I went to uh well one Supercross we had like you had a party. Was it like you and Jared or or one of the was it it was with you and the Merrill boys or mm-hmm. something and we, and we went we get, we ended up getting ken in there when he may or may not have been uh uh-huh. was yeah, it at uh, my club or was it somewhere else i can't remember man was your, is your club at hard rock it was at hard rock
1: the rock rock and roll club is was called wasted space yeah well, that was my place but i don't know if i don't know if it's there
0: maybe, maybe it maybe it's a different uh one of the different properties but a- anyway man it like i don't remember so that's yeah that tells you yeah. where we're at but it was like, I just see all the mechanics and riders and it was just like this closed door and it was like, righto, the leashes are off and yep. the fucking, none of the team <laughs> managers are around. I was just like, holy shit, look at this place. Oh yeah,
1: that's a big deal. You should have been around in the 90s. Oh, I can't Supercross even imagine. In the 90s at Vegas Supercross when it was all wrapped up. Oh yeah, it was a whole different world back then.
0: Who were the, oh, I guess you can't really name names, but it, it got pretty weird back in the 90s. I mean, it was it
1: was it wasn't weird. It was actually fucking awesome because yeah. back in those days, I mean, even going you know to ninety three, like I moved to California ninety three when I graduated high school, and I was there as a racer until ninety eight. But uh, but back in those days, it was like you raced and you partied. Yeah, and you know, like I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong, but at least we in know those which days, one was more fun. We definitely know which one was more fun. Like you, if you follow like Denny Stevenson or any of those guys on Instagram, and it's like dude, we all used to hang out together. We used to ride together. Dude, your day consisted of going for like a three mile run, going pounding out laps, and then you'd go to the local nightclub. You know, we had a lot of fun. We, we had a great time and on off weekends, everybody would go to Havasu and it was, it was a, it was a time that will never be replicated nor maybe it shouldn't, shouldn't, you know, cause there's probably a lot less money in the sport back then than there is yeah. now. And, you know, maybe it was a little bit less eyeballs on the sport back then than it is now, but fuck it was such a fun time in the sport like it was just so much fun back in those days
0: yeah, and that, that kind of shit's like not healthy to last forever either
1: no but you know what i think isn't healthy to last forever is what's happening with the sport mm. right now yeah it's just between how fast the bikes are getting and how gnarly the tracks are getting and the burnout and the injuries i don't think it's sustainable either mm. i mean i would i would put my money on the 90s over what's going on right now i mean mm. fuck i've been there it's like biting your fingernails. You put all your money into this fucking racehorse and they get hurt third round in. And the injuries were a lot gnarlier now than they were back in the 90s.
0: It's so true, man. Like, you didn't see the Ken Rockson arm injury Mm -mm. back in the day. Like, you'd see some collarbones, you'd see some fucking ACLs, but not to the level that... Well, it's just their tempo. Yeah. I mean, it's... I'm a firm
1: believer. Like I said, it's it's archaic, but I'm a firm believer. They want to fix all this shit and get bike sales back up and have you know an insurance that the riders going to last longer give all the oems 3 years go to a stock two stroke 250 and maybe it's a 150 maybe it's a 175 maybe it's not a 125 yeah cuz that's slow you, as fuck. you go back to a, a, a spec bike just how nascar runs like the restrictor plates or yeah. i'm sure there's a version with v8 supercars yeah you get a stock motorcycle and you're the yep that way it's a production bike and you get choice of suspension and tire selection. Yeah. You want to, you want to win on Friday, win on Saturday, sell on Monday. What better way to fucking sell motorcycles than to know that you can buy that bike off the floor. Yeah. It's going to save injuries. The racing's probably going to be a little bit better because everybody will be a lot closer. And I think the injuries will be a lot less. Now Mm -hmm. it's a pipe dream. It would never happen. Yeah. But I think if you like really kind of spent 10 minutes thinking about that, be like that would have a lot of positive effects. And think about a race team can run for a fraction of the cost. Yeah. I mean, a fraction of all you... I mean, and once again, I don't want to cut out like staff and whatnot, but I mean, dude, I... But I, it's sustainability. I would spend millions of year dollars a year in, in parts and suspension tech or uh, suspension pieces and factory parts. Mm-hmm. Millions. To race two fucking motorcycles. What if I could go race an entire season on 50 grand in parts? That yeah. would rule. <laughs> and you'd see more teams. You'd see more a opportunities lot more teams. for riders. Hey, and anybody can get in at that point. Yeah. I mean, think of... You could just go down to the dealership and buy... Two Honda 250s and get a suspension tech and go lease some, you know, go lease some KYB or show a suspension and you get, you got a fucking title contender.
0: Yeah. And it'd bring in like artistry, like real good tech guys, real yeah. good suspension guys. It'd kind of bring back that artistry that created like the Mitch Payton. Yeah. The, you know, cause they're artists at the end totally. of the day. But now it's just like, doo, 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 just fucking chucking down a checkbook. Oh, it's brutal. It's mm.
1: absolutely That's why I say it's, it's at a certain point, it isn't sustainable, yeah. especially. When these dinosaurs that are steering the ships at all these
0: factories, when they're finally like, eh, we're not gonna do this anymore," or, and you're seeing it like, dude, World Rally Championship, like the teams that won that shit forever, are just like, "Nah, can't yeah. do it. We're not doing it." Exactly. Or like Dakar, they're yeah. just like, "No, nah. it's like no one's immune to this shit." At a certain so, point,
1: you there has to be a. Formula of units sold to dollars invested in that footprint. There already sort of is, but there's always you know stealing from Paul to pay Peter from a factory standpoint. Yeah, but at a certain point, it's going to be like, okay, guy, enough is enough. We're selling five thousand units and we're having to spend ten million dollars to support three race teams. It's the the math. Well, like you
0: got to think too. Like, uh, dude, Ricky's the best example. Like for the money he was paid on Suzuki. To what got sold in RMZ 450s? Well, yeah. You're kidding. Well, that's the thing. In the 450
1: How now they the get industry. that money back. They don't because the four strokes in the industry. Mm. I mean, I, when I was an amateur racer, or whatever, I mean, whether it was amateur racer or professional racer, I would get six motorcycles a year. I'd get three 125s and three 250s. I'd have one practice of each, a stock and a modified, and go out and race. Now you can buy, now I, being that I ride for Husky motorcycles on dirt, I can get away with one 450 for two to three seasons.
0: Yeah.
1: So, I mean, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't, take a, doesn't take a fucking chemist to figure out, yeah, hey, you guys screwed the pooch. You made way too dependable of a motorcycle that's yeah. way overpriced and no one can work on themselves. Yeah.
0: No, it's fucking heavy. Yeah. Dude, like, the, the best example, I wanted to I wanted to invite you out on the weekend. I just didn't know if you'd have the time, but we just did a six-hour enduro, and it's like, dude, it's fucking crazy. This, this basically, like, this is a really cool... Thing of like how the industry is going, right? There's a magazine called Transmodo. They were, they sold magazines, and then they just were like, "Well, we can't make any money." They started doing these events, right? Hmm. And it's like the I always say, like, I guess it's like a my infamous line that I use. Have you got to get out of here soon? Yeah, <laughs> uh, soon. I always say, like, you're a douche if you want to win this race. Yeah, like if you go there and you try and win you're an asshole yeah yeah. it's kind of like day in the dirt in a way yeah yeah. and it's like so you're going
1: there for the experience not for the checkered flag
0: yeah yeah and this year so this is a third year that they've run it at our the conondale Mm -hmm. so we went there and i rocked up husky gave me a couple bikes to to use to do the race and it's like a team event six hours you just do as many laps as you can Uh uh-huh and it's like fuck i wish i would have (laughs) known i got my gear bag here fuck I was I was so close but you hadn't replied I to know. like the other stuff so I was like ah, I don't want to I was like ah fuck it'll be too much but because like dude I had two huskies there and everything like it was perfect but um it's like we got there and this year like the last two years been massive and then we got there this year and I pulled up and I was just like holy fuck like this entire field like huge grass field dude was full of people camping for two days at this event and it it's just like people that will never race a motocross event in their life Yeah, people that'll never give a fuck about who's winning supercross mm-hmm. just like the real core people that that tick these yeah. are the people that, that like, are like buying everything at full rip retail and I think that was like me and my brother worked it out but it's probably about 4 million dollars worth of motorcycles there. oh probably yeah and it's just like, they're winning now. Mm-hmm. They're winning. They're the best events in Australia. Yeah. And they're bringing Day in the Dirt to Australia. It's, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so it's like in a cu- three weeks, two weeks. Yeah, it's the weekend after ca- I leave. <laughs> I was going to say, are you still here for that? No. I'll get you a husky. <laughs> this one am was that local? Like, was that close by here? It's fucking uh, an hour away. Oh, fuck. Of course. Can you change the flight?
1: No, I was talking about what just happened this past weekend. Oh,
0: this one? Oh, yeah, yeah it was like an hour away. Yeah. yeah, of course it was. I know, dude, it was brutal. Like, it was... Cause it was super dry out there right yeah. now and it was like, fuck, it was one of the hardest tracks I've ever ridden. That's rad. But so basically it's like, it's, uh, like Unadilla basically. So uh-huh. it's like a grass track yeah. and then they just slashed it and fucking bunted out the, the, um like the, course the grass track yeah. and then it goes up through the hills and it would have been about an 11 or 12 mile course uh-huh. and you just do laps in six hours and that's rad you would have fucking frothed on it
1: oh, but, I would have loved that I, loved it. I love torture
0: and we just like dude we got we got up there the night before and we build a fire and we fucking talk shit and drank a bunch of beers and that's awesome quick shades are blown away and we we're all just fucking laughing and carrying on (laughs) Ah. like where so they had an auction for the you can auction to buy like a two minute lead Mm -hmm. and my brother and uh and his mate they spent 1500 bucks to get the lead (laughs) but it goes to like the farmer's charity yeah yeah. so they were like they're like fuck it It goes to charity so they spent 1500 bucks my brother goes out he actually shreds Uh so he he goes out comes he just got passed by the factory husky dude oh really so so they come in so they're in second but like neck and neck and then Sorley, they're all good. They ended up getting second outright. That's right. Sorley goes and fucking high sides a bike off the side of the cliff and it's costing him ten minutes. So oh, we're just shit. we're just ging him up the whole weekend, being like, You just fucking <laughs> blew fifteen hundred dollars, dude. A fifteen hundred oh, dollar that sucks but it's like, I guess the the point of it is like they're the, that's what's winning. That's winning now. Yeah. And that's what the hooligan racing. Yeah. It's like, people are sick. Like we know we're getting jacked on all this stuff. I know. Like our motocross national series in Australia is a fucking joke. That's terrible. Like, it's so, so bad. And I mean, I'm a, I'm, I am a hater when it comes to that. And I've said yeah. so many times, but I've, I've been there. I grew up. That was where, how I started filming. And then I went to America and I seen how it worked there. Like I've seen it. Well it's painful
1: to watch something that you've been invested in for such yeah. a long period of time just get destroyed or get ruined due to ill willed people, mm. you know? And and honestly, that's why I that's why I love so much like with the V twin stuff that I'm doing right now, just because of It's
0: like that grassroots sort of Well, feel. it is.
1: You you have this history that is these big mega rallies, and I'm sure there's all this bullshit that happens behind the scenes, but from me being on the fun side of it, you have, you know, Daytona has been going on for 80 years. You have Sturgis has been going on for 78. You have Laconia has been in the 60s. But then you have this young which and traditionally they've been kind of like for older people, you know, call it, you know, 40 and older, most of the mm. rallies. But then you have this resurgence of young people through the hooligan racing, through yeah. like all the I don't know what you really call it, but like the performance, you know, stunt V-twin stuff with all the guys on the dinas. and yeah, then it's yeah. like, you know, that you have that whole resurgence. And then you have, like I said, you have the flat track stuff, and you're kind of getting back to roots of like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to pack a tent, and I'm going to ride my motorcycle in, and I'm going to fucking race hell and have fun for a weekend.
0: And it's not about the glamour. It's It's about roughing it, and it's about being hungover, and it's about having to ride, like being uncomfortable while you have to ride all these. It's like, that's the, it's like the journeys.
1: That's what we do every year. Every year, I got me and a group of guys, we do... On a low side, 4,000 and a high side, 6,000 miles in two weeks. You know, we, we pick a different part of the United States to ride from. And we ride three days, four days to Sturgis, about five to 800 miles a day. And fucking poison ourselves with alcohol and carnival food for a week in Sturgis. <laughs> and then- <coughs> Hashtag an- Train. <laughs> yeah. And then spend another three days riding home. And by the time we get home, we're like beef jerky. We're sunburned and smoked <laughs> and, you know, toxic. and But we have a great fucking time doing it.
0: And that's the shit you'll
1: remember forever. Exactly. So, yeah. So that's, that's what my new journey is. So anyone that doesn't know much about V twin, I highly, you know, suggest you kind of research it. And, and there's, there's a great scene here in Australia, you know, even yeah. like a little bit of riding I've been doing over here. Like I went up to uh, Bruce's place. Iron up, and uh, resin. Yeah. up at iron and resin. And good's Bruce, dude, dude he had, he did a ride this past Sunday. He had probably like 200 people come through his place and do all these organized rides out. And, you know, Indians doing a lot down here with it as well. And, It's just a lot of fun, you know, it's for, it's kind of like for the aging motocrosser, like when you've finally beat the fuck out of yourself enough to where you can't really go out and get hurt, you know, go, go get yourself an Indian. You'll be fine.
0: Well, we'll wrap it up, man. I, uh, I'm i really glad we could make this happen. Shout yeah. out to Hammer for uh, for getting it, getting for it across sure. the line. I and uh, the man. dude, next time you're in Australia, give me the heads up and we'll uh, I will. try and organize some shit. Well, next time I'm gonna in be. Australia, my
1: kids, my, my youngest will be a little older, so I'll have more free time.
0: Yeah, true. Because you, yeah. <laughs> hey, daddy daycare. This, <laughs> That's right. This reality of this it shit. It is. It's the truth. But man, I've fucking enjoyed chatting for right an on. extended period of time. I hope you enjoyed coming yeah. on and do it again. Right on. Well, thanks to everyone listening. See oh, you show. See you, man. <laughs> Later. Cheers, brother. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry, dude. I feel like I uh, probably kept you longer than... That's all good. It's all good.